good old boys. <clears throat> a mart. Bog beef. Oh, yeah, just us. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're down a man tonight. There is no Fredo. He's, he's got some business to attend to. Yeah. Warren says Fredo pick. No, that was a Merrick pick, but I think any of us could have picked that one. That's my favorite Van Halen song. Although when I was a kid, I loved Jump. I used to to, to listen to that nonstop, like a, like a little maniac. Um, I don't know what I would say, like... Ain't talking about love or something like that, but um, Van Halen is is so good. Uh, that jump thing. <laughs> when I was a I was a young man. I was uh my early twenties. I was working on cars a lot and stuff, and we would go over to the this guy in town that was like the big tuner guy. He mostly did Mustangs and stuff, but you know you want to go over see there see what cars he's working on stuff like that, and um, he had all these mechanics working for him, and whenever they would play jump. Uh, he would, he forced his employees that uh, whenever, because by the way, he used to listen to the radio all day back then. That's some real boomer shit. I don't know if you remember this. Yes. Yeah, of course. So everybody in like, I don't know what you'd say. Rural America would have like a couple, like you'd have the classic rock station. Everybody listened to, or just rock station, you know, get, they would getting the lead out. They all had that playing Led Zeppelin all night <laughs> shit like that. Uh, but anyways, whenever they would play jump. Uh, he forced all the mechanics to physically jump, jump every time he says jump. Yes. It was hilarious. That's what I would do when I was a kid. I listen to that song. And it was my favorite song. I would, I would jump up in the air every time David Lee Roth said jump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was my boss forcing me to do it in the middle of like a, in the middle of like an oil change. But yeah, you know, there are, there are a lot of worse boss behaviors. Kind of came up. I was thinking about that today. Uh, you see, there was like a hot take going around because, Chick-fil-A in Ohio or, or some state where they recently allowed 14 and 15 year olds to, to get part-time jobs. Chick-fil-A was hiring 14 and 15 year olds. And there was like a big, a big take, uh, a take bonanza about whether or not it's child. It's like it's evil child labor to, to let a 14 year old work at Chick-fil-A. Uh. And it was, it was, it was funny because like I got it. I got a job at a big box department store when I was 16 and uh, it, it, like I'll say, as far as like socialization goes, it was a great experience because you just you just learn you learn a lot about about people when you when you go from like the school, which is fake socialization, to working, which is real socialization. But nobody nobody in on either side of the take wins said the thing that like that I would say, which is like it's not. You don't need to worry about it being ch- child labor or you'd be like uh, exploited for your uh, financial gain by an employer. Uh, just be careful sending your 14 or 15 year old daughter to work for a bunch of creeps because like that was a, that was a big thing. And we, we, we there went there weren't 14 or 15 year olds. It was like 16 was the was the minimum age, but like 30 year old managers would creep on the 16 year old girls. And I don't mean like you know commit felonies, but just act untowards towards them unseemly behavior like that's the only thing that's the thing you really need to worry about in that scenario yeah well so uh i've talked about before i worked on a a nightclub for a long time (laughs) now this was this was a nightclub that was a uh a restaurant during the day but it was like most of the money came from the club so i work in the restaurant very very little but um 
not not serving tables or something like that. And um, the the most classic creep dude for good reason. But I had always heard this, but I didn't ever understood why I started working in this industry. But um, you ever hear about the the creepy restaurant manager? Mm-hmm. Restaurant manager is like um. If you're trying to if you're trying to bang 17 year olds, that's your job. That's your job. Uh why? Okay, so the restaurant is very interesting because like um you know all this stuff where people talk about like uh, every occasionally like these DSA people be like, we need to free the American uh restaurant worker from the from be from collecting tips. Oh, <laughs> you know, they only make two dollars an hour wages. Well, see, this is this is like, I mean, they would uh, murder them if they tried to 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 get them fifteen an hour and and no tips. They would kill them. <laughs> it would be a huge, a huge, uh, like a decrease in their pay. I mean, this like uh, there are so um, I mean, I mean, people have no idea how much people make at these these tip jobs. So, uh, like during the summer when things were popping, uh, there were people that would that did not live in my town that uh had jobs like attorney there were attorneys that would leave their job come come here and and uh and bartend because they, they because like i i guess people have no idea how much money people make at these at these, at these places that that are really that are that are super there it doesn't have to be super popping like you could make the same amount of money uh that you would at like the nearest outback and it's like, well, how do they make so much money? Well, here's here's a here's a game. So you you worked at Best Buy, right? Imagine if you were working the register, and twenty percent of every receipt you rang up, you just you you got to stick that in your pocket. Based. <laughs> that's a that's a lot of effing money. That's a lot of money, and yeah, you got to tip out and shit like that. But uh, also, you don't have to pay taxes. Um, so. Now, but the thing that goes with this is that, uh, sat like the, the problem with this is that, so if you work lunch on a Monday, you aren't going to make anything. In fact, you may basically lose money. Now it's not a huge deal. So what, I mean, what they will do is they will, uh, like these, these servers and bartenders, they will pay. An, and by the way, one thing about it is you're the most replaceable person in the world. Uh, so like if you can't be at work and you can get someone else to show up for you, it's just as, it's just as good. There's no difference between them. Um, now that has pros and cons, but one of the pros is that you can, uh, you can literally pay somebody to take your shift and that's what they'll do. They'll, they have a big, (laughs) they have a big Saturday night or big, uh, and they'll, they'll say, God, I got lunch on Monday. Uh, I'm going to call Paul. I'm gonna pay him 50 bucks to have him work my shift. Um, because they're not going to make anything, but now like what the deal that goes with this is that the restaurant manager becomes God because he makes the schedule and he decides how much money you're going to make. This, this becomes even more serious with a bartender because, uh, if you go into a, just anywhere you go where they're serving drinks or you should go or any club you go to, like you notice there will be several different ways you can get a drink, but they're not all equally people go to them. So like the, the person by the door, maybe that that'll be, a, that'll be a good one over here. 
uh, et cetera. Like, and so that will determine a lot of money you make, but the, the, so the restaurant manager who can often make less money than the way, than, than like the, the top, the, than the, the top bartenders and stuff that happens a lot. And so you say, now these guys could bartend if they wanted to, why don't they? Well, uh, <laughs> they're enjoying being the Baron of the bar. Well, is that it? I mean, the thing is, like, first off, the, like, especially now, by the way, I mean, this is a separate thing, but uh, generally in restaurants, the underage girls are going to be the hostesses. I mean, that's I mean, everyone I worked in, they would have girls under 18 be the hostesses. And that's not a good gig. I mean, they would get plugged into uh, going out and getting drunk with guys and stuff like that from that yeah. job. Um, But yeah. I don't know. And I know if you live in Europe, this is probably, this sounds, uh, none of this makes sense. Oh, well, that, by the way, that's why if you go to, uh, if you go to a bar in New York city and there's a white guy working it, chances are he's from like Australia or Ireland or something because they want them tips. They want them tips. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that was, like I said, that in my experience and, you're working in a crap retail job it's not the same as working in the restaurant business especially any place where they serve alcohol that i'm just gonna be like supercharged but yeah like that is a concern you've got a bunch of you got a bunch of young men in working in a place with your 15 year old daughter that could go bad that, that could that could be uh, that could be unfortunate and not even like you know like it's not a crime necessarily to be committed but that's just a consideration for people thinking, "Hey, should I should 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 my should my child work at Chick Fil A?" Yeah, if, if it's a boy, you, it's kind of a no brainer, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was a side subject, but your main point was correct. And like we talk about a lot, like um, the psychiatry business has changed a lot in the past 20, 30 years. They used to would tell you some real stuff, like I don't know, go listen to what stuff like um. Dr. Drew says, and like one thing they would tell you is like your job as a parent is to individuate your child. That means a lot of things, but like one thing it means is like, um, your child becomes their own person that can take care of themselves, which I mean, that you might sound like, well, wow, that's, that's no big deal. I mean, it is a big deal and getting a job, you're 14, 15 can help a lot on that. And by the way, I mean, working at, working at Chick-fil-A is the best place to do that. People are so happy. Do you got one where you live? Yeah, but I've, I, I've, I've, I've ordered out from there in a work scenario. I've never actually gone to Chick-fil-A because it's so good that there's a huge freaking line every time. And I'm just not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit in line. It, it, I, it, I'm kind of shocked because the kind of guy you are, I mean, like it's like walking back into 1995. It's got this kind of Mayberry thing. Well, you know it's in the city. I mean, I say city, it's in the city too. So it's like, you know, but yeah, but yeah, it, 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 I know it's good. Cause like everybody in, in his brother wants to go there. Mm-hmm. And the people there, you, I mean, you can tell, sorry, I got to I got to knock it off with these toothpicks. I heard that there's <laughs> I'm addicted to these, these chewing on these toothpicks. I heard there's a UFC fighter <laughs> that's addicted to chewing on, on toothpicks. And um, before his last fight, it was like in the last pay-per-view or something, he was sitting there gnawing on a toothpick and he swallowed it. 
like uh, as a bit or by accident? No, by accident. <laughs> and like know, that can like I mean yeah, you can have you can you can have to have surgery because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My my uncle used to chew on toothpicks and the the other really base thing that he did was he quit smoking like in the 70s, but instead of that, he would just walk around with a cigar. Mm-hmm. And he would just chew on the cigar like, you know, he didn't smoke it. He just had the cigar. I don't know, yeah. something extremely based about a guy walking around with a with the uh with the cigar in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he's Dutch from Predator. So what's this box crunching like carrots like Bugs Bunny? Yeah, I do that. I always got to be munching on something, but um, chewing the cud. Uh, yeah. But the thing, the main thing is like if you go into any, if you go into to Burger King, uh, McDonald's or whatever, everybody there looks like they're on suicide watch. Uh, I mean, they're ready to end it all. Do you know what I mean? I never went into a Burger King and people like, Hey, welcome to Burger King. What can I do? Like you will never, ever, ever get that. You will get that every single time you go to Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Uh, it, do you, is it like, okay. You have places like Costco is a good example where it's like they, they, the, the company treats their employees well and, and, and not just well as in like, yeah, they, they give them, they pay them well. they, from, from what I understand, that HR doesn't hassle you. It's a good place to work. You go in Costco, people who work in there are pretty happy. A lot a lot happier than people who work at Walmart. It, it, do you, is that the secret with Chick-fil-A, or is this like actually just baked in like part of the secret sauce just because of you know what they are? They're like, you know, founded. It's still private, it's still privately owned, right? Mm. Isn't Chick-fil-A still I, privately I, owned? Yeah. But okay, you got multiple factors. So Here's the thing going back to my experience working in a restaurant. So, uh, we hired this guy one time to work on the line. I don't know if you ever, you ever, you don't like, uh, you start, I'm working in the restaurant. You get a look at like what it's like being a line, line cook now. Yeah. It sounds It seems rough. I've never done it, but it's rough. I mean, these guys work their ass off over that hot ass stove for a long, long time. And, um, I remember this is something this there's a lot of uh there's a lot of uh talk about this but this the front of house versus back of house back of house is is uh is the the cooks and stuff like that and a few other jobs front of house there's a, like sometimes the the food runner is that can be one thing or another there's a couple other jobs there's expo stuff like that but and by the way one thing that's cool about this stuff is um restaurants are set up like uh it's like they use like a mil they use the system comes from like the french military so every restaurant in the world works exactly the same it's just like you can go to any country in the world and there's a military and there's a lieutenant or some kind of thing that's like lieutenant. you know what i'm saying sorry a, a, you mean like an assistant manager like no no, no i'm saying okay so uh militaries are like are like have a standard for how they work you know what I mean? Right. Okay. St- standardized, literally standardized. Okay. Yes. And so, and restaurants are just like that. Uh, they, there's an expo, there's a food runner, there's a line cook, there's a sous chef, there's a head chef, there, there's a waiter, there's a bus boy, there's a bartender, there's a bar back, there's a man, there's a floor manager. I, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That, like nobody's, nobody's like saying, Hey, we're going to do things a little differently at this restaurant. Everybody uses the system because it's the best one. Right. All you have is, uh, if you if you shrink down smaller and smaller, people do multiple jobs. Um, but 
I like that. That's cool. As like an autistic male, you know what I'm saying? We're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't this... like, we don't like change. Just palette swap it. It it, it, soothes, it soothes our our uh, mushy brains. Yeah, this goes here. That goes there. Now, um, so you get a look at these guys, and they look rough. And then you're thinking, like, I know how much they made, and I'm like, well, who would want to do that? Who would rather be a waiter? Well, I mean, first off, they're not like a you know a 22 year old with 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 big jugs. They're like these haggard guys with 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 tats and stuff. But one time we hired one of these guys, and um, he came in from prison, and like <laughs> I'd never seen this. I didn't know what happened, but like when you leave prison, they give you these books that have like your the like all your paperwork and stuff like that, like um. Like he had just been processed from prison. They brought him here to get work on the, to, uh, to start, start frying uh, potatoes and stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you. So by the way, you could like, uh, I could eat anything I want whenever I want it. So obviously I'm eating a lot of seafood and stuff like that, but, but the cook would always cook me something special. And I remember one day he cooked me this fish that was amazing. It was amazing. I'm sitting there working and he brings me the, this fish and I eat this fish and I was like, damn, this is, I was like, I said, I, I said, Chef Paul, why isn't this on the menu? Why, like the menu is just like it's all fry, it's all like fried stuff and 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 taters and shit like that. And he was like, Well, uh, I have to make money. Uh, by the way, I don't know if th- this is cool. It's like uh, if you're the chef, like um, they give you money, you buy the ingredients. Uh, all that stuff like that. That's not done by the owner or the restaurant manager. It's what? separate. Mm-hmm. Really? I thought yeah. like, like Cisco or whatever would just ship in a a, a, a container full of Well, you have to do slop. that. Okay, I got you. You have to buy that. And so anyways, he gets like an allowance of, he gets like a certain amount of money. He's got to turn that in. He's got a certain amount of money to buy stuff and he's got to turn that into into food and shit. Um, so anyways, uh, I was like, why is this on me? He's like, because I have to make money. He's like, we'd never make money selling shit like this. He's like, the only way to make money is selling like uh, this garbage fried food. That was kind of depressing. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> uh, so you have guys working that just got out of prison. You don't have that at Chick-fil-A. Yes, part of it is it's $15, $16 an hour. Um, you get to be more choosy about the people. You don't have all these inmates and stuff. This is going to sound dirty to say, uh, so um turn your ears people but like chick-fil-a used to be like a hundred percent white people and like yeah that is like that is weird like um if you're trying like you're trying to pay a white person to uh work at a get work at a fast food place that, that doesn't have any um criminal history that's gonna cost you a few more dollars you know what i'm saying our McDonald's was, I, I, there, there is now one brother there, but like for a long time, it was 100% uh, people from the mountain of the Caucasus. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, here, here's the thing. In and out, in and out is so high class. You will find an Asian working there. <laughs> I've never, I've never been to the, any part of the country where there's an in and out, but I keep hearing it. Is that like a West coast thing? Yeah, yeah. If you, you, you see, if you see like a Japanese guy, you know, uh, uh, working working the the burger fryer, you know this place. You know, you know, you know, you're gonna have a nice burger. Continue. Well, 
you know, the thing is now places that use labor for people who don't speak English, that's just all, no matter how happy or nice that person is, that's just automatically going to decrease the quality of whatever service you're getting. It's just, it just is. Sorry. That's just, that's just how, that's just, that's just how it is. And like, since, you know, they rely so heavily on basically Mexican or Central American people. I think that that has changed what you get when you go out to eat or when you go to the store to to, to buy something or you know you get somebody to build your deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you dread you. says here in UK, KFC and McDonald's have minorities and five boys is white. Yeah, that's what it's like in America. It's the same thing. If you if you spend more money for a burger, uh, white people will serve it to you. Yeah, I mean this is. This is one of the things. Talk, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is, it is a bizarre thing, isn't it? So, so I'm saying this is, this is, this is why, like, I, I try to stay out of these conversations, not because like, we get in trouble for it. But we because, didn't, we didn't design the system. We're just, we're just uh, burger customers. But like, we're if if I if I went to get if I went to get a McDonald's hamburger right now, white people would make it and, and give it to me for where I live. So like it's not you know I, I, I we're not there yet he where I live but like we I'm sure everybody's going in that trajectory right like that's just that you, you wait twenty years and and you're gonna and we'll all be there <laughs> it's a different I'll just say it's a, it, when I have to go and I have to go to Northern Virginia <laughs> and unfortunately sometimes I do it's it's a totally different experience it's a you different planet well when you go you'll stick to the the Chick Fil A and the Five Guys. Yeah, stay away from the Wawa. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's funny, uh, and you know the McDonald's thing is is weird because like McDonald's makes so much damn money. Like, um, also there's a, uh, I don't live there anymore. But here's some life hacks if you anybody ever goes to Austin. So first of all, I've told it before, but uh, there's a Catholic college over by Ben White boulevard and there's a chick-fil-a there on saturday on like uh every third saturday the um the catholic college cheerleaders will have a bikini car wash awesome awesome Go to, yeah st edwards that's is right that, is that is that allowed ha, is that allowed to happen the catholic, yeah. the catholic college has like cheerleaders doing car App- washes apparently they can wear swimwear these days it's, we've all, it's, I guess my cousin, my my cousin was right about the Pope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other one. Always making accusations. The McDonald's just down the road from there. Um, uh, you'll drive up there and you'll see a whole bunch of white people working there, and you're like, "What the hell's work? What the hell is going on at this McDonald's?" And uh, second off, there'll be like good looking women working there. And you get you get closer, and they're all Russians. I don't know what's going on there. They got some kind of uh, they got some kind of a thing importing them to work at McDonald's. <laughs> All right, let's get started. All right. Speaking. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Let's uh. Let's hit hit it. We make it look easy. <laughs> Speaking of individuating your children, this is a column from New York Magazine from Sarah Jones. I don't know if you remember Sarah Jones. She's the hick lib from Southwest Virginia who uh, used to, she lives in Brooklyn and she's written for, you know, Jacobin and, and all those different magazines. 
you know exactly what kind of character she is. The, you know, the joke about the if you go to the library in the in Montana, there's going to be like the the one blue haired lib in the county. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's who Sarah right Jones is. She's she's professionally that thing. Here's the article she wrote for New York Magazine. <clears throat> Children are not property. The idea that underlies the right wing campaign for parents' rights. So I. There's no way around this. Let me let me give you let me give you one of the the hot quotes from this. Children aren't private property, but a public responsibility. To expand our democratic project to children is to grant them the security the right seeks to deny them: education, health care, shelter, and food. A better America begins with the child. Let's see. She had another quote here. Yeah, uh, here's a direct quote from the from the horse's mouth itself. The parental rights movement actively threatens the safety and well-being of children, and by extension, democracy itself. So, if you live, if you like our buddy, our buddy Dred, you how do you even say that? If you like our friend here, you live in the UK. You you know what this is already. This is this is the idea that your children don't belong to you; they belong to the state. Your like your children are property of the state, and the decisions for their upbringing, their like their health, whether they live or die, in some cases, should be up to, you know, state bureaucrats and not their parents. And this is like, it's just like everything else that, if it happened in Canada and the UK, they're gonna try it here. It's coming here. We're like we're we're like on tape delay, right? Yeah. We're th- three hours behind Canada and the UK. Yeah. Remember when people used to um. There will be these draconian stories about the United Kingdom and uh, Americans be like, well, I'm glad I don't live in a, in a totalitarian state like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's a, honestly, I mean, I said this before, um, I, nobody feels like this way yet, but like, look at the, so look at the social dysfunction in the black community. Right. So like children being born out of wedlock and stuff like that. And go look at a graph compared to white. I mean, like, uh, we're, like we're on like a thirty-year delay on that. Yeah. No, and, and, I mean, nobody feels like that. But I mean, in terms of these things, like, are people married? Uh, is daddy around? Stuff like that. Like, um, white people are going to catch up on that. I mean, if you look at a graph. Well, they they won't catch up in the sense that like the brothers and sisters didn't stop. Yeah, you know, the, 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 their graph's been going down steadily as well. So, like, it's not a matter of catching up, but we are—we were going to catch up to where they were in like 1970. We, well, actually, we might have already caught up to, the, to that at that point. The, 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 the thing with the like, and this is kind of a, a a point that gets lost a lot when people talk about you know urban dysfunction or whatever. If you looked at like black families in the 40s and 50s, yeah, they they had they had higher rates of broken homes than white people but they weren't nearly as high as they are now this wasn't like this isn't like necessarily the natural state of of any group of people this is basically a social decision that's made that whether you're whether your society wants to live this way or not and that's and that's like what the (laughs) the sexual revolution and the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s decided that yeah we're just we just don't we don't care anymore we're going to let everybody go to seed, you know. You don't. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Well, I've got a little bit about this. Um, 
Did you see this? La- I've been having fun on Twitter lately, getting into it. Um, <laughs> so did you see this? There's this um, professional uh, Silicon Valley, San Francisco ethicist that was uh, sort of musing about the ethical arrangements regarding pair bonding. No, I did not see that. That's very interesting. Now, it's weird that these people, like, this bitch, sorry, has, like, um, so this is her job, is to F with stuff like this, but everything is all worded like, I'm just sort of exploring, just sort of exploring ideas. And um, she she posted this tweet where she said, you know, I don't really think that um, I really need a long-distance relationship. I would like to just bang a guy for a couple of years and then have a new one, like every three or four years, just sort of do that until I die. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a problem. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of, that's kind of like saying, you know, I, I think I'm just going to, uh, you know, I'm 18 years old. I think I'm just going to, to eat, 3000 calories a day and, and, uh, you know, and get, and get four hours of sleep just every day for the rest of my life until I'm, until I'm, uh, 75 years old. Like that that you, you can't, you can't plan things out like that. It doesn't work. She ain't going to be, she ain't going to be doing that when she's 63. Yeah. So, um, anyway, she said this and what I told her is I said, uh, if you're 19, this is fine. It's not terrible to be like 17 or 18 and be like, be like, gosh, I don't really think I'm ready to have a commitment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. If you're, uh, by the way, like that can be even healthy for some people. Like if you, if you live in a trailer park and everybody is pregnant on drugs and you're like 16 and you say like, I don't need, I don't really think I need a guy. Um, I'm not ready to settle down. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want to encourage that. He's like, great, fantastic. Just please don't get pregnant for like five minutes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah but it, w- it can go too far the other direction. I I, I, I was linking it and, and laughing about it earlier. There, some, um, some girl from a TV show who's 19 just got engaged, and it was trending. On, I know this because it was trending on Twitter. The trend said the trend thing said she's only nineteen. And I was like, oh, oh my god! I clicked on it like I, this is going to be one of those horror stories, right? No, just this girl got engaged. She's going to be married. She's going to become she's going to become Mrs. Whatever. Yeah, and, she's a she's an actor. She's she doesn't need to go to college to become a Excel jockey or nothing. Yeah, and so she's already set up. There's no more. She's not waiting to do anything. The reaction to this was like that she was making a huge mistake because like, well, you're not ready to get settled down and get married when you're 19. It's like, well, yeah, you could, you definitely could be ready, especially if you're, if you're already like set up monetarily and you, you, yeah, that's absolutely a a completely normal choice. And like, there would be another, another time in human history where people would have this reactions. But it was the funny because I I, I, I linked this one in particular. This this woman goes like, "Okay, sis, you do you." But when I was nineteen, I was you know I, I, so screwed up. I, I I couldn't do something like this. It's like, well, then you shouldn't be giving her advice. Like, exactly, exactly. You and don't I, need you don't need to be in the conversation. <laughs> exactly, and that's where I got into it with this woman. And so there's nothing wrong. It's not your fault if um 
This especially affects women. I mean, women women are a little bit more fragile than men when it comes to this. But in terms of like, um, like for a woman, if dad misses a volleyball game or something, it can spin her spin her into a cycle, into a, a into a spiral depression. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Guys are a little tougher on this now, but um, you know, I said, are either your parents alcoholics? That that's a big one. And um, <laughs> I held the spiral on that pole, or uh, you know, I was like, when did when did they split up? Because that can be a big big difference. None of these things are on their own, um, uh, a, a big deal, but like, is a big deal for someone who's going to be laying down uh, policy or asking questions about. Um, I mean, the, the reason why G.K. Chesterton has a job is that there's people like this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. Every GK Did she answer Chester, the questions? Uh, so I asked those questions. I immediately got like, um, I immediately got, uh, I didn't get an answer. I got, uh, so you're just, I, I got the bullshit. I got the, uh, because they're very simple. You can yeah, ask me, ask me if one of my parents alcoholic. Are any of your parents an alcoholic? Hmm. Why? Where are you going with that? <laughs> you know I mean? like no 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 they're not neither am i they just aren't uh it's that simple uh and so i got this stuff right and then so she responds and there's a there's a there's a there's a punchline in the story we're not just reliving these these stories but this is an important thing right because the important thing is that there's two parts to this one thing goes into the whole social science thing the thing is you cannot put pair bonding under a microscope I mean, I like no. Ironically, like you know, there are birds that marry that marry for life. I mean, they don't they don't have a ceremony, but they get together and they stay together for like twenty years they, until they're dead. Uh, so like it's not it's not that it's not that effing complicated. There are there are animals with brains the size of a peanut that know how to do this. This is one of those. This is one of those things that I I, I hate. And it's because, like, maybe you could do that. Like, you actually could get your microscope out and you could study this. Uh, here's another example that's, like, this is relevant to, you know, even if you're an incel or whatever. Like, thinking about your, like, thinking, like, you, you know, your mother, your mother loves you, right? Everybody had a mother and their mother, like, 99.9% of people, you had a mother and they loved you. Like, you could you could try to figure out, like, the exact, uh, synapses that are firing and the hormones and, and the chemicals that are involved like that that tricks this person into caring about you because you are their biological offspring you could think about that stuff but you shouldn't because it'll make you into a uh a, like a psychopath like a we just a weird evil person like yeah. you shouldn't think you shouldn't think too hard about you oh well, well what are the chemical reactions that those love is this is oxytocin or, or all that shit no don't do that because a you can't. You think that you can. Like this is the biggest. Like this is this is kind of the mortal sin of modern society, which is like it's as it always is. Is pride, the idea that we have unlocked every secret of the universe and that we can understand how everything works ourselves, and we're gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna start from it's year zero now. We're gonna build from the ground up. No, you can't do that. You don't understand these things, and if you get if you get it wrong. It can be disastrous for for like the entire species, and you 
this isn't a hypothetical anymore because now every day we're having these big arguments that are now turning violent about whether or not children should have sex changes. This all, this can only happen in a society where you've done, where you've crossed this, this threshold that you think that you're God. And two, e- even if you were right about it, you're just gonna ma- you're just gonna turn yourself in this into something inhuman by by doing this. You need to just let this let it roll. Even if even if you had uh, unequivocal scientific proof of like how what is the actual chemical processes of love? When you look at this person, you don't really feel it. You, you, these hormones are these neurons are firing. No, you just shouldn't do that because that's gonna make your actually literally gonna make your life worse. So don't do that. I'm sorry. Continue. Guess which? Uh, guess what place out of out of a uh, world country South Korea ranks in IQ? Probably number one, right? Number three, and um, I and number one and two are not like actual. Number one, and number two are Hong Kong and Singapore, and those are basically yeah. cities, right? Yeah, they they are. They're they're just cities. They're not whole, entire countries. Right. So, yeah. So South Korea is effectively number one. Right. And so um, everybody in South Korea is so damn smart, right? They're the smartest people. That's the smartest major country on earth. Um, they're, they're, you know, realize uh, their birth rate is like, I mean, no matter what Amer- Western birth rates are, theirs are just so astronomically small. I mean, they're, they're going to be gone. They're going to be toast. They got too damn smart. They got too damn smart. And now they're all going to die. Now their the civilization is going to die. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, their their birth rate is below one. It was like I think it was like point point eight or point maybe even point seven five. It's so low that it's it's point seven eight. Oh, so that that's yeah, a couple, how many how many years is that until your country literally disappears? Like a hundred, right? Oh, it's not long. I mean, they they don't they don't really have long. And uh, see, the thing is, like, um, if they were dumber, that wouldn't be the case because. Now, it doesn't have to be this way. Now, someone like G.K. Chesterton, smart as hell, but he understands that uh, this, this stuff doesn't work. It's sort of like populations and stuff. Um, these, these sort of studies or any sort of these social studies that you can't put in a beaker, it doesn't work. Anyway, so I, I told her, I said, uh, there's a point to sacred cows. Civilization depends on them. Social science is a farce and produce, produce people like you. I have no idea what you're tinkering with when you mess with <laughs> taboos and pro-social strictures. Uh, and then I, I did a one word search in her history because I knew where it would lead me because these people, my next tweet, I said, people like this need to be contained. They need to shut up and follow direction from wise people, which by the way, it's not your fault. If you're stupid, plenty of people are stupid. Like everybody is stupid under a certain age. It's not a problem, but like what you have to do is you have to listen to smart people. That's fine. By the way, that's what smart people do too. That's what they do. Uh, you, you know, like if you, if you're like, should I marry this girl? Uh, you don't look at studies. You go ask, uh, the, the smartest person, you know, or well, a clergy member, something like that. The, 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 you, oh yeah. I was gonna say the clergy member thing is, is important. And it's, it's so funny that people don't realize this, but it's, it, they, that you're not allowed to, because it's, it's unintuitive by the way that we have organized society, which is that like, you know, traditions and, you know, religious, religious rules, these, they're treated like they're ignorant things that have been holding people back, but they're not like they're the combined wisdom of 
hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of generations of people. You're like when you're saying we actually everybody's been doing this wrong the entire time. You're saying I am I am smarter than uh, you know a, a line of two hundred people who came before me. And sometimes this can be correct if you discover like germs. Then yeah, you you, you may, maybe you're right. Maybe you should like you know maybe people should wash their hands, right? <laughs> maybe you should do, put used to rubbing alcohol. But if you, if it's not something that like groundbreaking, you're you're not you're not actually smarter than them. What you're doing is what every teenager does when they become old enough to just know enough to get themselves in trouble, which is believing that you are the smartest person in the world when you're in fact really stupid. That's like every 15-year-old is, almost every 15-year-old is, is that. Yeah. And um, by the way, the spoiler, I mean, so, you know what word I looked up under her name? Take a guess. Divorce? Incest. Oh, my God. What do you know? She's got alternative opinions on, like, um, <sighs> and by the way, you know, uh, who's the smartest distant right guy? <clears throat> Uh, I, I don't know. He bought all the Bitcoin, moved to moved to Hong Kong. Nick Land. Yeah, Nick Land is like obviously super smart. He, you know, he wrote a paper that was like, um, this topic is like proof of like universal morality because like you can find any like every single person, every single population on planet Earth has figured out. This is a this is a bad thing. It has to be constrained. You have to stop people from doing it. It's bad. Like every like you don't. Everybody in the whole world knows it's bad, right? Yeah, that that's almost almost universally because you know if you do that, you have like weird monster children. Yeah, well, she does. I mean, we don't have to go. I don't want to gross anybody. Obviously, she has strange opinions about that subject, and of course, she does. I knew that if I looked this up because this is what happens as soon as you start saying because you know. Remember, this is so like everybody. Like, if you go to a tribe of eleven people uncontacted, fill the jungle, they know this. They know this. They know that this is something you have to stop. Uh, well, their kids, argument kids be born with three heads and stuff like that. Their argument would be because they've now unlinked sexuality from reproduction that it's perfectly fine for brothers and sisters to sleep together. Because oh no! Not gonna... Oh no! She said we we can't police procreation. So she meant, in fact, having uh, <laughs> yeah, all the way, all the um, way. And why not? Like why? Like why would there be something that stopped someone who's gone this way? On the on the subject of this, what you're talking about the ha- having someone they need to be constrained. So you know, you know, I love Glob, quote Glob all the time. And in mm-hmm. his cycle of empire, the last one is the age of intellect. This is that's the end end state. Like you're, this means you, this is the end. And uh, here here's the quote he has about this. He the, a short explanation of why. The most dangerous byproduct of the age of intellect is the unconscious growth of the idea that the human brain can solve the problems of the world. Even on the low level of practical affairs, this is patently untrue. Any small human activity, the local bowling club or the ladies' luncheon club, requires for its survival a measure of self-sacrifice and service on the part of its members. In a wider national sphere, the survival of the nation depends basically on the loyalty and self-sacrifice of the citizens. The impression that the situation can be saved by mental cleverness without unselfishness or human self-dedication can only lead to collapse. This is, this is oh, a great point. It, 
it's not that it's not that people get too smart because I don't I don't think that's the problem. I think you could have an extremely high IQ. I mean, here's the thing, man. America was a very high IQ nation early on. We had a lot. We had we had a it was <clears throat> we had a very good stock of people. There were high literacy rates. People were very smart in America. We were probably one of the smarter countries at the at the time of its founding. You can have that and not be a collapse. The collapse comes once you begin to think that like that. Uh, well, I read the I read this Bell Hooks book about race, and now I understand the how the fabric of reality works. Once that happens, you're done, because you're just going to you're going to make, you're going to do the same. It's just, it, the teenager comparison is the best one in my opinion. You just decided I'm 15. I know how stuff works. I'm going to make my own decisions and live my own life. And there are people who have let their kids do that. And I'm sure that if you're listening to this, you've known one of them. How did that work out? Oh. Those people are in charge of our society now. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Kumi brings up one of the funniest ones from this last week. Did you see that woman? She said, um, <laughs> Well, it went back and forth. So first there was the, the, the woman that was a mommy blogger six months ago. And then she, she said that she said, <laughs> I love how she said it because she was totally right. She said, you know, I'm not sure how I say this, but like, um, can someone tell me like, I'm guessing there's some reason, but like, why don't we just, why don't we just hang drug dealers? Like what's, I, there must be something to stop that. But like, what is that? Because like, I don't understand like why, like, why do I need someone like, why do we need these like these people just trying to kill me she's, and yeah she said why don't we just like publicly execute five of these drug dealers in San Francisco and then this problem will go away and it was funny because it's funny because yeah of course she's absolutely right you could do that tomorrow the only thing that's stopping you are the people who run San Francisco yes yeah this this is hilarious this is like one of those things that's like um there are like not every problem is easy for us for uh, the political system to fix. It's not easy for the political system to stop uh, people from being drunks. That's it's really tough. Uh, it's easy to stop to stop this. Uh, like this is this is exactly the the this is what this is the entire business of states. But um, anyways, yeah. So one of the responses she said, "Well, these are just they're not criminals. They're just drug workers." <laughs> like um like a um what i don't know what you call it like a, a logistics person now <laughs> yeah yeah this is this is a person involved in in the trade of drugs they're not they're not drug dealers like, yeah it's funny because th this obviously she's she's using the language that they used for prostitution which is sex worker and by the way i don't like I don't want to say this worked in the, this is the thing about the way they they t tinker with language. Like sometimes what they do can directly reprogram people. And the 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 best example and I've complained about it before is them uh, in, in basically inventing the word gender. The word gender did exi exist before before them, but they changed the meaning of it and then, you know, moved everyone's conception of sex to to gender and then they had complete control over it. Like they have re they have successfully reprogrammed people by by using this word. I don't think that sex worker did that. I don't I don't think it but you know given time it might. But what it does is it gives you a way to communicate these horrific ideas without immediately setting off people's alarm bells. And I'm sure that like probably in 1965 or whatever gender did that, right? 
hey, we're not talking, because this used to be their common refrain. Hey, we're not talking about sex. This is about gender, which is a social construct. Hey, we're not talking about prostitution. This is sex work. This, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't get it twisted. We're not trying to make any crazy moves. We're just saying, you know, this is a valid form of, a valid form of work. Well, they'll do that with, with, with narcotics too. And like, eventually, they'll do that with like shop, but they like these shoplifting, organized crime syndicates or whatever you want to call them in these cities like these flash videos of flash mobs robbing walgreens they're not just regular some of them are but there's not just like regular people doing this like me and bog beep decide hey let's cut out and go and let's cut out and go to the cvs and steal a bunch of stuff there are people who are stealing things to resell as part of an organized group of people and eventually they will give this some kind of brand name to to make uh, make an excuse for it because you know, they, it's part of their political coalition doing it, so they have to. I don't. I used to work retail. You, by the way, you know what I used to do, but don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> I used to work at a retail store, and like, like every every quarter, we would get this phone call from one of the other stores that's in the area, and they would say, "Hey, uh, the gypsies are here," <laughs> and we would close the store while these uh, these people they brought they drove a big van and they were just professional thieves. They and like, they just walked in. They know that you're not, you can't stop them. And they carry these huge bags. All of them come in at the same time. And they're just, they're gypsies. That's what they do. They, they eBay all this stuff. Um, but and, yeah, yeah, even, even when I worked in retail, when I was very young and this is, would have been a long time ago, even then the rule was, you don't. You're not allowed to stop them from leaving with the stuff. The store policy was that because again, people get sued. Whatever. You, if you get hurt fighting them, I did one time see the manager who was like, I guess the only person allowed to do that. He he wrestled a guy on the floor in front of the doors who was trying to escape with shoplifting stuff. Like not on my watch, you know that kind of thing. But yeah, even then the policy was if somebody steals stuff, you you would the security guy would ask them to leave or call the police or whatever but if they got out before the cop showed up they got to keep that stuff and that's so that that's you know now uh, uh, well well over a decade removed now effectively they, they, they in places like that they don't call the cops at all so you would just what would you do if the if the Irish travelers showed up in San Francisco they could take they could take everything that wasn't nailed down right yeah oh I'm sure they're having a ball which by <laughs> uh, I'm by the way, so you know how they get people to so you know how they get get employees to wrestle them, right? What no. they do is store policies you can't touch them. Store policies you can't touch them. However, if you're a manager, you're you are rated every month on your shrink percentage. Oh, uh, okay. Every time they do inventory. And every time they do inventory, they know how much stuff disappear. So, you you're on the allegedly you're not allowed to stop them. However, uh, you aren't going to get promoted and you're going to lose your bonus if people steal it. So they would just stop. They would close the store. They would get out of their hand. They would do all kinds of stuff. I've got a big, I've got a story. I got a story. I've got a story. April 11th, 2023. I'm not reading. I didn't see this on social media and I don't see this on the news. I'm reading this from corporate.walmart.com this is straight from walmart walmart announces closure of four chicago stores 
Today, we made the difficult decision to close four of our stores in Chicago. The decision to close the store is never easy. The impact is greater than just closing a building. It affects people, people who work in, shop in, and live in communities near our stores. By the way, they're not wrong about that. They're not wrong about that. Like, uh, you know, people need stuff like um, insulin and and uh, stuff to wipe their ass with and, and Kleenexes for the boogers and beans and rice. And, <laughs> you know, like people have, like, you have to have this stuff. Like, it's not like um, um, other things. Um, all associates in stores are eligible to transfer to the Walmart location. Uh, yeah. And so I need to go find out. So there's the simplest, sorry, here's some more stuff from them. I need to go find another story because the simplest explanation is collectively our Chicago stores have not been profitable. The stores lose tens of millions of dollars a year and their annual losses nearly doubled in the last five years. Remaining four Chicago stores continue facing the same business difficulties. We think the decision gives us the best chance to help keep them open and serving the community. Um, so think about that. How, how well, do they, Walmart is is a license to print money. How do they not make money? Because these people are just stealing stuff nonstop, right? That's, I mean, what what exactly are they going to do other than close other than close down those branches? Well, they have, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, is that that's that is is that literally the only the only idea they have? Because like, you you can't put tags on everything in the store. I mean, what would you do if they tag? They just bring in. A, they just bring in a. Um, a blowtorch or something, you know, it doesn't matter. Well, I, yeah, I guess those tags now just set off the alarm, and alarm doesn't mean anything if you if the alarm doesn't mean anything if you have no dignity because like uh, the people now that they have the self checkouts at Walmart here. I I've, I've seen people go through and not scan stuff and leave, and you know, and I've seen a per, I've seen a person like the old old man at the door was like, hey, can I see your receipt? They just walked out and kept going, right? If you don't have any dignity, you don't care that people know you're a thief. You can just steal whatever you want from Walmart. The only thing, like, it's not like there's um, some mechanical thing stopping you from doing it. Tomorrow, you, you could, we, could, we could all go, you know, steal a flat screen TV and, and leave. But the thing is, like, just, like the, the civilization is basically everybody coming to the agreement you're not going to do that, right? That's the difference between civilization and not having civilization. All these little rules, like, I'm not going to punch you in the street. I'm not going to you know, freak out and, and stab you with stab you with a knife because I don't I, I don't recognize your face. Like, that's kind of one of the the things that we have to do to live in <laughs> to live in like dense envir- dense populated environments. You know, um, and by the way, they had pulled out, I didn't notice, I didn't know this, but, but they had pulled out of three stores early this year, their suburban stores. And I think this is the, the end for them, uh, in Chicago. Uh, I, I have a couple of problems, but number one, uh, so everything I've read is that it's stealing. I, it's, it's disappointing that Walmart wouldn't say that. I guess they figure like, what's it matter to say it to the public? I'm sure that they've had these conversations with members of the city council and shit like that. Yeah. I mean, of course you're not going to say that to the public because then you're going to get like, this would, this would pop up. Like there would be social media outrages because you know, Walmart tags, Walmart has an inventory system like every major big box store does. And they just automatically tag the most stolen items. They put the little tags on them. They just do that. There's not a person in who there's like a, 
uh, the, the manager doesn't sit back saying, I think today I'm going to debase people by putting the tags on the Cheerios because people I don't like buy Cheerios. They just tag things to get the stolen the most. So you'll have a thing where you'll go into the uh, hair, hair care aisle and there will be one kind of hair dye or one kind of hair treatment that has a tag on it. Because that's the one that gets stolen. And it turns into social media outrage that Walmart is run by like <laughs> run by the Ku Klux Klan because they're they're putting they're putting the tags on the just for men for brothers, but not the just for men, you know, for everybody else. And and just doing that has has in the past caused enough outrage that they just agreed, all right, we're just gonna tag everything or take the or take the tags off these things that get stolen. So yeah, of course they're not gonna say we have to stop this because people were robbing the store. Like that would that would be a PR nightmare for them, because yeah. for one thing, these people don't acknowledge that the that like in San, the San Francisco, the earlier story with the lady, the <laughs> the nice mommy blogger who <laughs> her journey's been really fun to watch. From like, hmm, there's a little bit of crime here in San Francisco to like perhaps we should do mass executions, like we should start hanging people from the light poles for for dealing fentanyl. Like if you talk to the people who run San Francisco, they will tell you this is a conspiracy theory that that there is no, there's been no real increase in in theft. That the like only only the crime of murder has really gone up. Other crimes crimes are down. And you know this is a joke. We've talked about it before. Murder is pretty much the only crime that you can't reclassify or hide. You you can you can you can just you cannot report assaults. You can reclassify things you can bump them down but murder stays murder because or you can just let people steal yeah like in san like i'm sure that there is not a huge bump in the number of reported thefts because they don't just they just the cops don't come anymore so you what do you what do you why would you even bother if you're the manager of safeway in in the tenderloin district or whatever what's the point why would you why would you even bother to do that you're going to call the police they're not going to come you report it to the you report to the, the district manager. You're not going to be reporting it to the police. So yeah, in in that in that sense, maybe the crime stats haven't blown up. Like everybody knows that that there's that there's a, a been a, a huge increase in theft. You you'll and they'll like forget their own kayfabe every once in a while, and and you'll see a story about how like hey everybody in San Francisco. Before Christmas, leaves their trunk open so thieves can like inspect their car and not bust out their back window to, to look in their car for stuff to steal. Like that's not a normal thing to, to do at all. Like even in times we've had we've had high crime, crime rates in American history. I don't ever remember stories like that where you just have to pop the hatch of your hatchback and leave it open so that criminals could make sure that criminals wouldn't bust out the window just as a matter of course. That happens when you when like you have functionally stopped policing people. Yeah. So, but but and yet they do continue to lie about this. Yeah. Um, so if you're my point was here, if you're Walmart and you're saying this, hey, we're leaving because y'all don't arrest people in Chicago anymore for stealing and we can't stay in business. You have trouble with the people who run Chicago. Then you would have trouble with them because you are, you know, you're speeding a, you're speaking a hate fact. Yeah. So yeah, a couple of things. So first off, yes, um, the biggest MFers um, on this are like the uh, the guys that act like they're playing in the middle. Because I had that debate with that NIMBY guy, and those guys sort of act like they're they're not just being um, radicals about this, and they'll just say, 
they'll just show you crime statistics. And uh, I mean, so everyone's got to know. So I, there's no reason why you wouldn't know. But yes, crime statistics is a hack. What you have, someone so they tell you that what you say is, uh, what's murder? Show me murder because crime statistics don't mean anything because none of these things get prosecuted. Um, it's by the way, you know, the, earlier that woman, the, the crazy woman that the with the bad morals, yeah. You know, after I got into it with her, like immediately after she deleted her account. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say immediately after she DM'd you. <laughs> no, maybe she had a come to Jesus moment. But um anyways. <laughs> uh so yeah, so uh I understand okay, that makes a lot of sense why they wouldn't say that. Now again, I mean there's a couple of things here. So number one, you have like uh how long, how long did we listen to uh progressives say What's the matter? You a pussy? Uh, there's no you're you don't you don't own Wall you don't own Walgreens you don't own Walmart. This is this cannot affect you at all. This is this is they're just taking money from a with a comp from a company with infinite money. There's not there's no way this can harm you. These people stealing the, these people stealing all this shit. And I would see people that didn't know how to argue it, but they knew that this did affect them. And guess what? I mean, uh. Yeah. I don't like, I, I don't know what other, other stores are in Chicago, but I mean, I mean, this, this is a serious situation. I mean, by the way, like what happens if Target leaves? What happens if these other stores leave? Yeah. And, and what, what are you going to do? Wal- Just drive the wheel off the car to get a can of beans? Yeah. Famously, Walgreens also is leaving a lot of these places. And what, what, what will happen is you'll have to buy everything from the, the bodega, you know, the AOC dream. You have to buy everything from, from those people who, who have small enough stores that they can. The a they can it's harder to steal from them. And B you know, the Korean guy his his three sons that are working in the store will will fight you because you're direct, when you steal that stuff they can't write it off to the district manager and you're also going to pay a lot more and you're going to get crappier you're going to get crappier stuff. But yeah, you, you, ain't, know, you ain't getting uh, you ain't getting no craft beer. Yeah, and th- that's what I, like the people who can afford to will yeah they will drive out to the burbs and, and go <laughs> and go shopping there. Well, that's what they'll way, do. The, the Walmarts in the burbs are already gone too. That's the ones that left earlier. The Walmart's <laughs> getting out of Chicago. <laughs> I, that's, I, well, I guess, hey, if you're, if you're an entrepreneurial minded person, here's an opportunity. You can, Mar- Walmart had to run away. You can, you can try to get in there, but you know, that doesn't work out so well either. Remember, there was a viral outrage video earlier in the year where some some lady stole from was it a woman that had like a sex toy shop or something weird some some weird thing and the woman got on the subway and like f- followed her after she stole from her or her, her business <laughs> and just it just like slut shamed her right there on the on the the, uh, the bus or whatever just saying yeah this person stole from me that, that that thing that she has there in her hand it might have been clothing she stole that and she just keeps going on and on until I think finally maybe the the shoplifter relented and gave her gave it back to her but the funny thing was the reactions to that video were that the the store owner was wrong for doing that that she was out of out of pocket and uh, her behavior was inappropriate because she did that and, and like Will these people get beat up for their lunch money or something? Well, no, but I mean, we, the, 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 the woman was, was white, and the woman who stole stuff was, I think, Latina or whatever, Latina. Case closed. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, this is the, she has the right to steal from you because she's part of our political 
coalition. So, but like the the problem here is, even I mean, if you were an entrepreneur and you wanted to, to say, I'm going to step in now that Walmart's gone and tried you know to sell certain things. Well, they can come and steal your stuff, and if you physically stop them, you're going to go to jail. Like somebody's going to put you in prison, and God forbid if you like got into a fight and someone got hurt, and the person who robbed you is going to sue you or the city or kill you or you kill them and you're going to jail. Like either way you lose because these people have privileged positions in the legal system. So I don't I don't know what the answer is. Like I I historically it would be people they'll leave and people will get mad and change the way they run their cities, but I don't know that that how that works anymore because as someone in chat pointed out you can just if you're if you're a, a, a upscale lib, you can just ha- order everything and have it sent to your house. So they, you know, they they'll just do they'll just go on Amazon, right? Hmm. I guess. I mean, well, here's the thing. I mean, so by the way, I think this story is bigger than any other story. I mean, by the way, I think that this story is bigger than Bud Light and all this shit. Um, because this is serious. This is serious, <laughs> and this is like um. I mean, I don't know if people realize, but like, if you're American, you listen to this, this is the America you live in. And, uh, like, I, I, I know that, that nobody understands, like, I don't think it's hard for people to take this in, but like, um, uh, you live in a shithole. I mean, do you realize it? Here's the thing it doesn't have to be this way at all. At all. It, like, it really doesn't. But I know what people, the, the problem with what, with the human, is that we are too adaptable. A human can learn to do anything. We can adapt to anything. People in um, living in concentration camps, like they will afterwards be like, "Yeah, you know, we we sang songs and stuff. wasn't that bad?" Um, and they'll they'll reminisce. You know, here we hear about the people that uh they eat like the uh they'll eat like horrible shit that they 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 used to have to eat when they were going through depression and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you, yeah, that's part of survival mechanism. You, yeah. you have to. You can look at like Navy SEAL school, like when they start out toward the end, where like what these people can do, like at, towards the end, like um, they can just leave you like freezing cold for just days at a time, which is like completely intolerable at the beginning, and you can just kind of adapt. So this is the problem. What people will say is, yeah, well, I don't know, I don't know. I still live in Chicago, man. Um. Uh, the, here's like, the deal is this doesn't stop here. Well, it's just not going to stop. We, we got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And it, the thing is like, uh, it, the, the idea that has to drop out of your head is like, and I, this is impossible, but what people think is like, well, somebody's going to come along and uh, Walmart closed. Well, there'll be some other thing. There'll just be some other thing. Let me tell you, there might not be, there won't be. I mean, let me read the response of the of the mayor, because I think this is important. Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson uh, released a statement on the closing, saying Walmart's decision to close four locations in Chicago will leave a void in the communities they serve. Yep, particularly stores located in communities that have a historically lacked options for grocery stores and pharmacies. Uh, a- <laughs> yeah, food deserts. Yeah, you ever had the food desert discourse in the early two thousands and I guess the late two thousands and our two thousand ten? Oh, we're getting a lesson on it. 
Yeah, well, the the story was like this is like this is like redlining. This is a conspiracy. Walgreens wants to keep the brothers down, and they don't they won't send the put make stores there because they're racist and they hate people. I'm like, no, they don't do that because it's a bad place to do business. Like that's why you don't. That's why you don't. That's why there's a food desert because nobody nobody wants to put a Kroger there, and that, that that's in the the desert is expanding. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. By the way, I mean like. You know, I don't know if people realize you could buy a fresh T-bone in the hood if uh, they had if the mayor came out and said, "Hey, we're going to do three strikes. Uh, yeah. If you jump the turnstile, we're gonna we're gonna throw your ass in jail. We're gonna make everything safe for just all the normal people. Uh, this will all be over. You could you could you could get anything you want in the hood. You go buy your big screen TV. Um, yes, Carl Shan still got it. Uh, so. By the way, so that statement, uh, so first off, he's given us a lesson on the food districts. Yes, yes, this will be a problem. This will be a promise, right? If that was your pharmacy, mm, bad times. Um, and the other thing is he was talking about people that vote for him. These stores served as a crucial lifeline for communities to obtain fresh, affordable produce. That too. Uh, I don't yeah. think you can, I, I, you know, I'm a, I eat a lot of fruit. I don't think, I don't think you can go get uh, the fresh kumquats at, uh, <laughs> at the, the bodega. bodega. Yeah, you can get, uh, you can get Bud Light. <laughs> you can get a, a yeah, bruised banana and yeah yeah. The the thing is, and the other problem here is you talking about you can get used to anything. Right now, it's probably still a good deal though. You know, if you if you look if you're one of the <laughs> if you're one of the luminaries of the dissident right on Twitter, and you know you work in New York, L.A., San Francisco, or D.C. like they all do. It's still a good, better deal for them to live there, even if it's a sh- if it has gotten, you know, fifty percent shittier. You, you make enough money, it's still worth it to put up with that crap. And and I don't think we're even past the tipping point for that yet. And yeah. of course, and of course, with remote work, a lot of those pe- a lot of the people who de- who you know do demand this behavior, which is not you know I, all levity aside, that's not the. You know the dissident right. That's like that's progressives. They demand this. Well, a lot of them now are don't even have to go into the office, so they don't they don't care. Uh, Matt Iglesias is my favorite one because we, you know we like to pick on him because of his one billion Americans thing. The, the book that you said he should be arrested and imprisoned for. He's a he's a, a famous yimby. Yes, in my backyard. As soon as Batflu hit his his fat ass, vacated New York City and went to his dad's cabin in Vermont, and he just like lived there during Batflu. Just immediately, he he just bucked out. Like these people, they don't like they 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 don't care, and they have no reason to. They don't. They're you know they'll they'll always have a cabin to run away to if they need to, and those are the ones who are really driving the decisions. So even if you even if like you, you know a brother can't get lettuce and, and, and whatever, I don't even know Chicago neighborhoods, even if that happens it's not going to affect them and they're not going to stop yeah, okay, so um, and he also says we are committed to identifying ways to fill the, fill the gaps these closures will leave in neighborhoods and find creative solutions to repurpose these facilities to the community's benefit in other words, we ain't going to do shit like uh, this is the this this is like a, a classic sort of um. By the way, something like uh, Yimby, like people like Destiny and stuff like that. When they talk about like progress or whatever, 
like why things will get better, they will use, they'll put in like a placeholder of like, well, by then we'll have the, some kind of technology solution to X or Y. <laughs> whenever you say that, whenever you say, well, we'll find out something creative. Um, no, well, <laughs> that's, that's not how shit works. There's nothing creative about uh, having a grocery store. Uh, it's very, very simple. And you're writing these people out and, you, and you're not going to back down. Now, like, uh, so we got a long way to go in America. I don't give people advice about this. I don't tell them where, like, generally you're going to live where you need to work. But um, I don't know, like, uh, I would feel a certain kind of, like, I, you know, the, the people find this ridiculous to say this, but, like, I would feel a certain kind of way walking around Washington, D.C. at night or Chicago at night and not be, like, by the way, I'm a grown man. I'm not, like, uh, I'm not afraid of being mugged. I'm afraid of uh, defending myself and then going going to jail from uh, the Soros DA or something. Yeah, which is uh, how many times has that happened in recent in recent history? The well, st- story we were going to talk about, I guess we will talk about when Fredo's back because he's a lawyer. You know, the guy, the the guy who in 2020 had his car surrounded by. Uh, a gang of uh, like literal Antifa people. One of them was carrying an AK-47. Pointed the AK-47 at the guy. The guy shot him and killed him. The police weren't going to charge him. The Soros, D- the Soros DA stepped in. He was put on trial and convicted in Austin of murder. Now the yeah. governor said he's going to pardon him whenever the when as soon as it hits his desk. But the, that's the, the thing is, it, it's so much. It, it, here's the problem with that. Think about this. And, and this also goes for the 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 Mackie case, the you know the Ricky Vaughn. This goes for the the jogging case. <laughs> yes, if this was just a matter of like the sheriff of Nottingham, the pe- like the people who are the, the cartoonishly pe- evil people who run Chicago, it wouldn't be as bad as it is now. Like this is the thing; it's not just like Lori Lightfoot or whoever. It's a whole cast of people. It's a whole class of people, like they're in they and the ones who live in like Austin and Chicago, and they'll do these things to you. They'll, you know, put you in federal prison. They'll put you in state prison for for life for defending yourself. And because it's a large group of people, there really aren't any breaks on this. There can't be because it, 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 like the idea of well, they'll just vote them out or change these things, but they're not going to. Because those people, like their livelihoods, depend on this farce continuing, and and even if even if they even if it didn't, they don't. Like, if you took the average person, say the average person on the who's going to be on your jury, if you <laughs> become a political prisoner for posting memes, if they understood that their 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 religion was bad. It wouldn't matter. Like, if you could convince them logically their religion was bad, they wouldn't change. Like, could, could there any words a person could say to you that would make you not believe in Jesus? No. 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 Nothing. 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 Like, you, you, could, you could have a, the shroud of term with the signed affidavit and whatever. You wouldn't care. It's just not going to happen. And these people aren't going to change either. And there's a lot. There's, they're, they're not numerically huge but they're really concentrated in this place, and they're the important people in these places, and they're not going to change. And so, yeah, we're not. Not only are we not, because every day you, I get this, these same 
fucking, I'm sorry, these same stupid ass posts about, oh, well, wokeness has peaked. No, no, it hasn't. No, we probably haven't even, re we, we're not even like any, we're at the beginning of this. I'm sorry. I hate to, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's just really starting. They're just kicking it off. Because these people are going to go to the wall before they change any of their behavior. Because it is a religion for them. I don't see how they don't grasp that. But like, there's no the lack of a Walmart, lack of a Walgreens. That's not going to stop them. If there's a, you know, if you went from having a .001 to a .002% chance of getting raped and murdered, that's not going to stop them. Individually, they might change their mind when some way they know like gets murdered, like the. Um, the tech guy, shoot, I forget what he he, he made, he made like pay, cash app or whatever, and he was just stabbed to death outside of his house in San, a nice place in San Francisco by some homeless dude, stabbed him to death. He was, it was in like one of the richest parts of town, right? Yeah, yeah, and like a lot of people, a lot of these rich people, blue checks were posting about it because, like you know, now it's serious to them. Oh, I guess there was something to that. And individually, maybe that'll happen, but you know how many how many people have to get raped and murdered before, before enough of them enough of it happens that, that these people will change their minds? I I don't know. And even then, look, people people can get used to anything, like you said. And if it's a choice between for them making a uh, hundred and fifty grand and living with those risks, or you know making eighty grand and living in a place that doesn't have a Shake Shack. A lot of them are just gonna say, "I'll just." They already say this, and like they, they actually, it's like a point of like a macho pride for them. Like, oh yeah, of course I'm used to living. I've been mugged 16 times. It's just part of living in the city, pussy. Yeah, maybe they'll just decide that's that's the life for them. Well, here here's the thing I want. Like, so the person who is the urban urbanist, at least like in the political argument, that I respect is this distributist. And what he says is like, I need to ask him about this and I don't think we'll agree, but I still want to understand because I do respect him and I think he's very intelligent. But what he says is, is that somehow that, because you know, the argument they say is, well, if, if, if all these, if all these white people move out into the suburbs and in, into the rural area, then we'll be out of the game. Right. So there'll be, um, in other words, cities are where important decisions will be made and we won't be there. I, that, that's, that makes logical sense, but they'll say like, so like if all of, if, if like every person who was like hardcore right wing moved to California and changed the way these cities are run. Now I don't really think that that works. It's hard to say 100%, but, uh, these urban machines, like the thing about, the patronage stuff is that you just need like a, a certain percentage of people who matter. And they, they use these cities have these big ghettos and yeah. these activists can go to these big ghettos, get all the stuff they need. This guy in San Francisco, this Brandon Johnson, you got to ask, see, th this is the thing. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but I had this big viral tweet about the Bud Light situation. Did you see that? The, the woman was the, the woman, the VP of marketing was getting jobs for her buddies. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of Good people, tweet, by the way, thanks. And like, I, and by the way, I, I like, and I know, like, I think that tweet is very good. And like, it's, it's a, that tweet is like 
30 higher IQ than my own IQ. I'm going to let people in the secret. Like, well, how can I do that? If you read that tweet, you'll think, I know that, I know that some, that some bitch can, can hardly get a sentence out. How can he come up with something like that? This is the patronage stuff. And here's the thing about the way that I think about things as a patronage guy. And I know when, when you see, when I argue, when I see arguments, I saw very smart people when they analyze the Bud Light situation, what they would say is, well, here's what Anheuser-Busch decided. Here's how, how Anheuser-Busch look, uh, makes this kind of call. And they'll, they'll think like, well, so surely Chicago wouldn't see something like uh, Walmart leaving. Like, well, here's the thing, like how I think about stuff with the patronage, with the, with the patronage mindset, Anheuser-Busch doesn't make decisions. Chicago doesn't make decisions. People make decisions into it. Like the United States of America does not make decisions. Joe Biden makes decisions. Donald Trump makes decisions. And I don't know if that will work for everybody because I know most people do different, but this is how I think about things and it can really change. I mean, like you can really level up by thinking this way. It really helps. And it like, you can understand things that don't make sense. Why would Chicago do that? Why would America decide to become poor and crime written? You're doing what allegedly everybody says they do, which is you're trying to go, you're trying to move back until you reach the, you know, the original point of uh, the point of origin of, of people's actions. Why are they doing this? And when you have a, it, people don't like the simple answers because simple answers don't allow you to bullshit yourself. And like, actually kind of, if I think back to the early days of when we started the podcast and we would talk about some, like, we talked about some pretty big subjects. And a lot of the times we would just say, you know, well, we don't really know why this is or whatever, and try to work our way through it. But the, the trick is, if you have a simple answer for something, there's no room to inject idea, inject cope into it. And everybody does this to some extent. Like, if you have a really complicated theory about uh, how all, like, let's say, all of human civilization is actually a, a conflict between, you know, uh, <laughs> capital and labor or whatever mm -hmm. you can you can basically have really a very wide range of weird beliefs and they can make internal sense because it goes through the i guess what they call the obfuscation right it, it goes through that and you can just you pass through that magic glass and now the weird shit you said makes sense but if you have a really simple idea like patronage you can't really do that anymore you have to just admit well She's she got a job at this company, and she's gonna help her friends out, and it's gonna cost her company money, and, not, and they're not gonna they're probably not gonna be happy about that in the end. But it doesn't matter to her because she'll move on to bigger and better things. They might even eat the loss as companies have over and over again, because it ingratiates them to the people who are in charge of everything and the and the the religion of the upper classes. Oh yeah, that's I mean, a simple answer. And it's not a, it's not a fun one because like the 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 fun answer is like, oh they're gonna go woke and go broke and they'll have to change it and have to apologize and we'll get the we'll get the dog we'll get the little dog back and the big titty cheerleader commercials and stuff. That's the fun answer. They're like the oh well the market's gonna gonna beat you up for this. But like that's that's probably not the real answer. The real answer is a lot less fun. It's that they'll shove the <clears throat> gentleman in the 
Audrey Hepburn outfit down your throat over and over again because that's what they have to do. Well, I think what's what's so uh, what's so interesting about this is that um, I think people are more black. Like I don't know if, I don't know if you saw people more black pill bought that than that. The right wing answer I saw most people saying. I mean, I among people who I mean I saw more than than mine. I maybe I was looking in the wrong place. Was that they did this like because I know people have figured out go woke go broke doesn't really work. Now, like, I think that people are going too far in the other direction because now there's right wing people saying, well, actually, they did this to make money. This is going to this is going to make them more popular with it with youth and stuff like that. I think like now here's the thing, like the go, woke, go broke stuff like. It's not wrong. What like, I don't know, like, uh, like, let me tell you, like, there is less enthusiasm. There's less people buying action figures for uh woke star wars than there was for old star wars i like i'm sorry that's just really true that is really true um what we've seen though is companies that have like uh have like uh monopolies and stuff like that that go woke and obviously there's nothing nothing happens to them or things like this like now product like this this is by the way i mean they're going to lose a lot of money doing this. They're going to lose a lot of money. I hope people know, like, uh, I, I, think, I think they are too. And there, there was speculation. People saying like, Oh, actually their stock hasn't moved. Like, yeah, the stock's not going to move for a while. If, if this was a, if this was a horrible, horrible decision, that's going to cost them money. It's not going to cost them money in April. But like, I think I do too. I agree with you. It is going to cost them money. Like you, you're, there was a good there was an article about this and they made a good point like where you could say that like for Gillette or whatever you could if people get mad at you for a week that's not a big deal if you're if you're anheuser Bush if people get mad at your beer for a week or two that is a big deal because they're gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna buy two cases of beer and drink twice as much two weeks later right so this is a this is a commodity that you're gonna you buy and consume quickly this could like cost them millions and millions and millions of dollars. But I'm sure that there are people who are high up executives in Anheuser Bush who just think that the juice is worth the squeeze. No, no. Well, just this woman did. I know, but I mean, I'm if if you were in business or whatever, and you're and you had like remember the movie Casino where there's the the red like the dumb guy in a cowboy hat, but he's the grandson of a state senator or whatever mm. and he's just completely a fuck up at his job and the mob hates having him around but you got to keep him around because his his uncle you know is with the gaming commission right his uncle's a big shot so you have to put up with his dumb crap well you know like this the the woke stuff is like that character for for them it might be worth giving up millions of dollars in revenue just to keep these people happy. It well, might be. I don't know. I don't I don't think it is, but I, I think so here's what happened. This woman went to the board, said, we should give money to this person. And like I explained, they gave money to that person because they're a Democrat activist. That's why. And I know and I know that like uh if that person was um who's the Olympic Kardashian Wheaties box? Bruce Jenner. If this remember Bruce Jenner <laughs> allegedly has the same situation that this other person has has had, it would not be Bruce Jenner. The reason why that person, uh, believe it or not, is uh, the Democrat Party, not not Jenner. That, and they gave it to him because they were a Democrat Party activists. By the way, fellas, 
you're out there, uh, and that was a good decision patronage wise. Uh, if you're out there, uh, you should do that. If you get a job as a, as a marketing director or, uh, you're, you're, you're hiring bands to play on the tour or something, uh, you should get your friends, including politically. Um, you know, if you're good old boy, you should, uh, say, well, we want to, we want to have uh, Hank Williams Jr. Play this year. Not, not the liberal, but, um, that's what they did now. And when they say that we're, we're, we're in a, uh, uh, corporate meeting. And by the way, this person is an executive. So they're, they, they, they don't have to go beg daddy to make this decision. They are a marketing person. They can make moves like this. And when they send this email out, when they say something in a meeting, what are you going to do? You're going to say, I'm not going to have that F slur on our beer. You're going to F things up. You can't say that you're going to violate the civil rights act. And people said, well, the NFL is doing fine. The the NFL is a monopoly. American men have to have football to gamble on. They just do. And, um, they can't just start watching hockey or soccer. They can't. I mean, the NFL could like literally, like when you turn on the game, someone could come to your house and kick you in the nuts for you to have to watch. Like you could, you would have to be kicked in the nuts to watch the NFL game or the college football game. And American men would still keep watching it. It's just the way it is and include the sports betting, which is a, a huge part. Now people said InBev owns all the beer companies. Well, maybe that'll do something, but like, here's the thing. Like, um, let me tell you, like every frat boy in America, they're not going to buy Bud Light anymore. They're not. They're not going to drink Budweiser. They're going to get Coors. What are you, what are you, uh, F, sir? Mm-hmm. They're going to drink Coors Light. They're going to drink Miller Light. They're going to figure something else. By the way, I mean, Bud, Bud Light and Budweiser are, like, they're not even made with hops. It's made with, like, rice and stuff to save a couple nickels. I mean, it is piss. However, I mean, I'm not, like, people make those arguments, and they're like, they don't know what it's like being uh being a, a young man on the town in your early twenties. Uh, the, the the flavor of the beer is not a big part of it. You're just gonna drink whatever swill there is because you're at the party or whatever. And they're not gonna want Bud Light anymore. Let me tell you that. <laughs> well, somebody in uh, somebody in chat beat me. Our our listeners are so are so big brain that they always beat beat us to the punch anyway. But here it is. Subvisual haze. Better ESG score brings in BlackRock funds. This is this is the this is the thing that can tie it all together. And this is I'm not saying this will work, but this is a strategy they are going with, and it's come up w- with regard to Budweiser. So like the ESG scores, like the uh, environmental, social governance, whatever. It's basically a, a score of how <laughs> much of a Democrat you are, right? It, 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 it's it's rule. It's basically how progressive is your company? Well, you know now these ESG scores determine how much money you can get from like BlackRock. So they have they have access to the money printing machine through the Fed, whatever through the government. The BlackRock's functionally a part of the U.S. government, and they get this money. They didn't have control of the money supply, so they can decide whether or not your your corporation gets gets money or your idea gets money. So you have you might have to pitch this to them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not saying that will work, but they're already trying to do that. They're tying ESG scores, aka how progressive is is your company, to to funding, to money. So like that's what they're going to. This is a tie that you have to pay. You're going to have to have these useless eaters in your company who 
have these stupid ideas that are you know, absolute poison to your your business. But you have to do them, and you have to tithe. You have to, you know, you got to bake the cake, or you're not, or you don't get to play. I don't, I don't probably, I don't think long term that works. I don't think you can do it long term, but in the short term, it will work. It, they will, they will scare companies, companies into doing whatever, because like, look, Budweiser's not even American anymore. It's not even an American company anymore. I was like, don't the Dutch own it or Belgians or whatever? Something and, like that. And even the countries, even these companies that aren't physically located outside the United States, they don't, they're not American. They're multinational. They're not, they're, they're part of the, uh, the, the squid. They're not part of America. They don't give a shit about America anyway. So they'll just do whatever. If they need to say, you know, hey, by the way, you should cut your, your child's uh, genitals off. They'll say that shit to make a buck. They'll do it. They don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's like the people. Um, you know, a classic example is uh, who's the the who's the best? Um, what do you call when you own a stock and they send you mo- dividend? This the best stock dividend in the, the whole world. The one that pays no every single time is uh like R J Reynolds. His cigarettes yeah. g- give people cancer like crazy, kill people like cancer. Uh, but if you own that that R J Reynolds stock, you just want your money. There's no there's no physical person that's like well. Should R.J. Reynolds really do this with Marlboro yeah. cigarettes? It's just uploaded into the cloud. It's just owned by Satan, basically. Well, it, it, <laughs> yeah, a lot of these things, like the idea that, well, you can just force people to pay for for useless, a useless horse-faced woman to to put a, a transsexual person on your beer can because zero interest rates and there's money everywhere. And even if Bud, Budweiser does, loses millions of dollars, it doesn't matter, right? But eventually that's not going to be true. And it kind of feels like we're approaching the point where that's going to stop, at least by degree, being true. That there's just not money to burn everywhere. That people are going to start looking at places where you can tighten it up. Because they do care about money. This is, this is kind of, it, it's, just, it, it's difficult because I think people have this idea, and like the go woke, go broke aphorism or whatever, is part of that, that, that like, this is all about money. It's not all, it isn't all about money. Patronage is not all about money. Money's a big part of it, but it's not everything. So like they're not 100% driven by money, but like, shareholders are driven by money. And as long as the tap, you know, the, the tap is big and there's lots of it flowing in, if something gets siphoned off, people don't really care. It's not worth fighting over. Certainly not worth fighting over if if fighting it is going to run you afoul of, you know, the civil rights program. But if things are tight, and that's the difference between you dropping down a tax bracket, then people will change what they care about, and like that—that's probably what—that's probably what will happen. I just don't, I don't. The, the, the black pill version of this is—that's what people were saying was that actually, what's going to happen is the chuds are going to just keep drinking the bud, and they're going to eventually accept the the transsexual stuff. And like general, generationally, maybe that's true, but it won't be because of Budweiser. That would be because of like the school system, right? They're not going to train people to to love that through beer consumption. Do you get the difference between these two things is an important distinction. Well, here's the thing. So Bud Budweiser is like the oil companies or something. There's only so much you can sort of uh, move stuff around, uh, move ESG scores around. Like uh, I don't people know, but people drink a lot of beer. A lot of beer is being drunk. Like. there are many, many men wherever you live that have a job driving a truck full of Bud Light. 
and delivering it to people. Uh, by the way, Bud Light <clears throat> sales uh, bottles, sales of Bud Light. And now I would, I would uh, this just makes so much sense because, like, I mean, like when I was twenty two, I probably drank a. I mean, I don't know people like, so I literally drink like once a year now. It's just one of those things like, uh, thanks. Thanks. Goldbug. Uh, it's one of those things like, um, when I'm in, when I was, when I'm in the right place, I drink when I'm not, I just have, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Um, so, uh, but I mean, I've been the kind of like 25 year old guy that drinks like, I don't know, I don't know, two cases a weekend or something like that. I mean, me and two other guys could stack up Bud, Bud Light cases about six foot high in a weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of beer. That's a lot of beer. And um, th- this is the, this is, so I mean, the way the way this kind of thing would work would be like um, if I'm in a social occasion and I'm 22, I'm not buying a Bud Light. It's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, I'm- that's the gay beer. And Coors is now Coors is not owned by the same company owns Bud, right? Aren't they? Aren't isn't Coors and Anheuser Busch separate, or are they? I, I forget. The, the, one of the one of the big brands of beer is a rival company. So, like, if only ten percent of your former Bud drinkers switch to the rivals, and like the other ninety percent switch to um, once you switch switch to like one of the brands that you own, that's still a, a, a lot of money that you're losing. That's a problem. And, and, but especially if it's the hev- it's the heavier drinker, like the the, the person most likely to, to drink a shitload of beer is the person least likely to like the, what you're doing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a it's a homophobic male with tons of testosterone. Now, uh, so check this out. This is so perfect. Sales of Anheuser Busch across the board, bottled products dropped thirty percent in the last week. While draft beer plummeted fifty percent, that's that's exactly what you would expect. Because um, if I if, if I'm drinking a draft beer, I am in public. There are other people around me. You know what I'm saying? Bartender, if you was a bottle of the homo juice, yeah. Like there's there will be there will be people, especially progressives, that are like in their thirties that will not understand this. They won't understand this. They won't understand, like, I, like here, and I know, like, do you just won't understand? Here's the thing. I mean, I'll tell you, M- Mountain Dew lost a significant percentage of sales because of the Yellow 5 rumor. Yeah, I it remember was, that. It was never on TV, but just like, huh, you're drinking that? Or you want a small penis? Hey, here, here we go, everybody. Here's a guy with a small penis. He's drinking the Mountain Dew. What, what was your version of it that it made your penis small? Ours was it lowers your sperm count. I think that was right, but either way, uh, that's funny because like you know you're losing we, your manhood. We didn't go to high school in the same state, right? But we both heard that same rumor. <laughs> and like everyone's like, well, there's like a five percent chance that's right, but still, what do you what do you you not care about your manhood? You gonna be drinking that shit? <laughs> the, the, the the surge cola company invented that rumor it's marketing if they did it worked because people people were drinking the hell out of surge for a while after that rumor hit well that definitely happens so i don't know if people know this so like in the the 90s like re- i mean i don't know i was really young when this was the case i think but um 
there was a time period where essentially if you were black, you had to wear this brand called Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, like if you, if you lived in the ghetto, you didn't have two nickels to rub together. Or if you were uh, a multimillionaire, you had to wear Tommy Hilfiger. And the thing is like, there was nothing else like this. There was nothing like there was no other brand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just Tommy Hilfiger. It was huge. And like, there was no competition. It was just Tommy Hilfiger and Tommy Hilfiger wasn't cheap. I don't think. No, I mean, it wasn't a designer. Well, I mean, it might've technically been at one point, but yeah, it, it was something that you could, it was affordable to regular people, but it was just way more expensive than everything else. Mm-hmm. And I was, I remember in in high school, there was a guy who was, who in hindsight, this is such a, a, a Chad move. He took, um, he took a Tommy Hilfiger, like, tag or whatever off of something like you know the little logo and he he in home economics class he sewed it onto one of those bucket hats that were popular at the time right and he Mm -hmm. like turned it into a tommy hilfiger bucket hat and uh, i thought that was like a pretty amazing cheap guy engineering but yes tommy was the biggest thing i know where you're going with there was a rumor about the designer tommy hilfiger saying that he would have never made those clothes if he knew that the dang N-words were going to be the ones that wore it, right? This is why, I think this is why <laughs> Snopes started. And, like, it was, wasn't was even, like, a rumor. Like, it was just true, even though it never happened. <laughs> it never happened, but, like, you would have never met somebody that was like, well, I sort of think this happened. No, like, everybody in the entire world, like, and what they, like, this story was always the same. It was like, I was sitting at home i was watching oprah tommy hilfiger came out and tommy hilfiger told oprah uh like i wouldn't even make clothes if i knew that that black people would be wearing them they're disgusting people and i don't want to see them wearing my clothes you remember this yeah i yes but where i went to high school was in a different context this was a this was a joke repeated about how Tommy Hilfiger was based. <laughs> so I mean that's <laughs> I'm so, I, I, I you know, I'm just saying that's that's the reality of of things. And actually, wearing Tommy Hilfiger where I went to school wasn't the the highest social caste, right? Like that. Right. It was yeah. It was a move for the guys who who, who really liked like you know listening to rap music and. They they uh, modeled their hairstyles after Penny Hardaway. This is one of the. I'm sure this is a quote. I'm sure many of you watched the recent taping of the Oprah Winfrey show where her guest was Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> On the show, she asked if the statements about race he was accused of saying were true. Statements like, "If I'd known African Americans, Hispanics, Jews, and Asians would be buying my clothes." <laughs> like the how the rumor grows every time it's told <laughs> they just kept adding it just kept drafting in new rate new racial groups as time went on yeah if i had known african-americans hispanics jews and asians would buy my clothes i would have not made them so nice <laughs> i wish these people would not buy my clothes as they're made for upper class white people <laughs> you, sound like, you sound like a character in a Spike Lee movie now. <laughs> His answer to Oprah was a simple yes. Where after she immediately asked him to leave her show, um, boycott please and send this message to anyone everyone knows. <laughs> so this this like um and uh apparently like 
uh, a Filipino tabloid just printed this like as a joke and it went all the way around the world. And I mean, like I don't, Tommy Hilfiger, like I'm sure that they have some boutiques or whatever, or they sell it for super cheap or something. But I mean, it was the biggest clothing in the world. Like poor people were spending tons of money on this. Oh stuff. yeah. I mean, people like people had two nickels rubbed together. We're spending $150 on a Tommy jacket and uh it all went up in smoke i mean so this rumor killed it it killed it and this thing is this isn't even true this isn't even true and now you you take this person that's on the bud light can and uh i mean it's like obviously it's real before we move on just this is a point of about this tommy thing this was the internet was existed because like people and people and there were a lot of people by then who did have you know AOL or whatever, but it wasn't everybody like today. But none, nothing changes. These people certainly don't change. Even back then, even before, you know, like three years before this rumor, almost nobody was on the internet except for like nerdy college students and and a few people who lived like you know people who lived in like New York or, or around Reston, but. You know what? These memes still happen. You know how? Because people would fax, use their fax machine at work to fax, <laughs> fax cr- crap across the country to each other, and like it was the same thing. It's like the same kind of people who like are on tw- like are on Twitter at their 150 grand a year job, you know, tweeting about social justice now would have been doing that in the past. Like nothing ever changes. Like this, this is. But now the the just be clear, the Tommy Hilfiger hoax was not perpetrated by that that cast of people like this is kind of a problem when these jokes come down to the to, to like the, the rest of us and we don't we don't have the secret memo we don't know that it's like there's a joke and then something like this can spiral out of control and call and 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 destroy, and destroy like does tommy hilfiger still make clothing yeah people have said in the audience is they're around but it's mostly a dead brand i mean there's stuff like that uh, the i mean the the fight like <laughs> uh i don't I'm know read that but yeah it's 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 amazing and the you know one of the reasons why this happened like um <clears throat> you know japanese people are very like um intense fo- super focused people like i, I know like in D D and stuff they will they will do this about um the dwarves are supposed to be like i think germans and japanese are like this right so germans and japanese get hyper focused on like one thing and like overbuild it you know what i mean sure they'll spend like 10 years on one sword whereas the american will make a, a hundred cheap shitty swords um so these different people have different qualities well one thing white people like like um <laughs> like like uh i don't know what you call it practical jokes and trolling people and just causing like random mayhem for no reason I don't, I don't know. I don't know if people know this, but like, uh, I mean, so have you ever done this? Have you ever made a, uh, a crank call? Yeah, of course. I don't know if you know this, but like, you know, nobody does this in like Saudi Arabia or Mexico. <laughs> no, or, I didn't know that. Or like, um, Nigeria. <laughs> Other people don't, they don't do this. They, they, they just don't have this. They don't, no. there ain't a lot of crank calls in like, uh, or, in, or the, or the classic, and uh, I can't say that we called it, but we'll just say Tommy Hilfiger knocking on people's doors and running away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do, 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 they probably don't do that in like Pakistan. 
No, there's just no, there's just no uh, market for that. People in Yemen don't, uh, you know, call people up and, and ask them stupid questions about vibrators, something to, to try to get a laugh. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. I don't think that happens in Mexico. Like it's literally just white people have this thing where they like, they like, uh, they like effing up. They like, they like, uh, uh, spreading these rumors causing mayhem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> Cornish Jack says the Indians have this, but it's hello, baby, <laughs> send bobs. Yeah, <laughs> not quite the same. Not quite the same thing, though. Yeah, I mean, this is the internet has changed this a lot, but like, I mean, people used to spend, uh, and they still do, I'm sure, but um, it's different now. People are kind of the internet made things. People put their walls up and stuff, but like there were lots of guys that just spent like ungodly amounts of calories, just sort of having one, having a laugh like this, just effing with people having a joke. I, I, this is kind of related to what of your, to your viral tweet. Uh, it was brought to my attention by uncle Steve sailor. This is a, this is a new story, I guess, but it's kind of related, but I'll hit the button anyway. <laughs> St. Paul activist Melvin Giles, or Giles, one of seven to receive $55,000 grant for rest and recuperation. This isn't public, technically public money. I don't think the city of Minneapolis is actually giving these people money. I think it was a grant by, a, 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 well, it's just a pilot program, so maybe it is. It, it's a grant's initiative is a collaboration between the Minneapolis-based Cultural Wellness Center and the Polad Fam- Family Foundation. So... I guess what you say that probably the the cultural wellness center is an NGO, aka it is public money at least partially. While the Polad Foundation is some old white guy died and decided to give his money to do stupid shit. Uh, anyway, fifty. This guy gets fifty five thousand dollars a year. It's part of a grant program. It's not so he can do like social justice work. That's not what it's for. It's a for rest and recuperation. This is like here. I'm giving you fifty five thousand dollars. Take a year off from the hard work you've been doing, like I guess uh, begging for money and terrorizing normal people with your stupid political shenanigans, and just chill out for a year because you're so valuable that we're, we're that we you got to take a break. Don't we? Don't want you to burn out. I believe this particular guy would go to uh, blow bubbles at, at a at places where they were having protests. That was the thing that he did that. He's he's getting paid to take a vacation from. Now this story is is like bizarre and strange, but through a patronage lens, it makes perfect sense. You just this is just we're just giving money to our political supporters here. Here's a, here's a here's a gob of money. What it really made me think about a conversation we just had with Seneca Scott. It's posted on Patreon. It was a and we were talking about like rep. We were, we talked briefly about reparations, and Seneca Scott had a. He had a reparations plan. It was like it was a reasonable plan. It's one of the most reasonable plans I've ever heard. I mean, I still, I don't, I'm not. You ain't ever convincing me to do reparations. But if you were going, if you, if someone put a gun in your head and said you have to do reparations, that's the best one I've heard. That so one far. would not hurt at all, especially. No, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. But like, but as he pointed out, as he pointed out, the thing is, it would only benefit people who were who were doing who were ma- making actual moves. But my point here is. If reparations, I mean, reparations in some sense, in some places will happen eventually. They are, effectively, they already do. But in the form it will come in, 
is this. They're going to say, you need to, and, and I believe that uh, Tanahasi coach or whatever, you know, he's been talking about reparations for years, and his big plan was, you need to have, you need to form a council of elder black people to decide to, and give them a trillion dollars and let them distribute it as they see fit, which is like, that's a mafia. And that's, that, that's what this is. It's a mafia. You, you're going to give, you know, some state money, some private money to this group, and you're just going to dole it out to their buddies. Some walking around money. It, 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 the story sounds bizarre until you look at it through the lens of Patriots, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's one of the um, the best things about the Patriots is when you, there's so many stories that are um, <clears throat> someone gives money to a political associate, and there's all this crazy. I mean, like until you hear about Patriots, you're like, it, it, the answer isn't super clear. Then when you do, it's like, oh. Okay, that's very simple. It answers a lot. Um, by the way, a couple of things real quick. Um, the Bud Light thing. Uh, there's some stories coming out tonight that like um, it is serious. I mean, like I don't know if you like. So the the beer is done by like, kind of this franchisee thing. Like you, mm-hmm. like uh, there are some guys that drive uh, Bud trucks that are uh, filming viral videos and stuff that are like saying that it's a it's really bad. Yeah. And- it's it's a it's a prob- they're probably not very high margins on this stuff. So if you disrupted it for two weeks, it could, like I'm I think not it's gonna be this- worse than that, dude. It's gonna be really bad. I mean, it's gonna it, be it could, it could, you could you could literally kill the Bud brand like that. That's you that <laughs> could happen. Yes. No, but, I mean that's yeah. crazy. We haven't. Well, anyways, okay, but I've got we run past time. I've got another story. It's a serious story. Um, Uh, remind me to cover this again next week, maybe if he wants to. But um, I think it was a good story. Italy again tries to build a bridge to Sicily, seek support. Italy's infrastructure minister sought Tuesday to rally international interest in Italy's latest attempt to build a bridge linking Sicily to the Italian mainland, a dream since the times of ancient Rome, which has been planned, discussed, and designed by a succession of Italian governments and then got off the ground. Matteo Salvini vowed that the 10 billion euro project that was last definitively shelled in 2013 would create a hundred thousand jobs, accelerate transportation times. And, um, anyways, I just thought this is a cool story. They like, uh, apparently this is like one of those, like, um, uh, this is like a monkey hanging on the back of Italians for thousands of years that we haven't yet built a, a, a bridge to Sicily. I'll be honest with you. And maybe I'm dumb. I, I assume they already had, Cause I mean, it, it is, it's a long distance, but like it's, it's shorter distance than the, dif- the distance between, uh, like, uh, Calais and Dover. And they, it's, it's a longer, uh, sorry, it's a shorter distance than the channel. I just assumed they had already done that a long time ago. Cause like, why, why wouldn't you? But like, they haven't apparently not. Yeah. It's just, I, I'm looking at Google. I'm looking at Google maps right now. They're, they're just ferry lines. Okay. Do you say Matteo Salvini was the one pushing this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the distance would be about ten to twelve thousand feet. What's that like? Two two miles and the change. How many? How many? Feet? Uh, ten to twelve. Th- ten to twelve thousand feet. Yeah, I don't. This is a med. This is funny that Fredo's not here. This is a med thing. Like, how have they not done this already? Yeah. Well, I like that. This is this is one of these things. It's like, um, and why they haven't is because of patron stuff. I'm sure because there's never a reason to just do stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's always better to to pay your friends and and 
and take care of your own shit. Sorry, your own ass. But like, um, but this is this has been a thing. <laughs> For a long is this time. a shorter distance than Chesapeake Bay Bridge? I'm wondering. Like, do, do we build a Chesapeake Bay Bridge before they connect in Sicily to to the to the toe of the boot? Okay, uh, well, but imagine uh, you can imagine how rough it is for civil engineering in, in Italy. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. A lot of payoffs. Yeah, and I mean they're not a they're not a rich country either. Like you know, the United States is a rich country and it has been since since the, since the end of World War One or World War Two, depending on how you want it. And Chesapeake Bay Bridge is four point three miles, so they're comparable. I, I would if if, if ten, yeah, they're, they're it's comparable distance. <laughs> they, they they really, really should have done this by now, Fredo. Where are you at? <laughs> Come defend your boys. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyways, I I like that it's a that's a good Salvini project. It's like um, uh, nobody's been able to get this done yet. Um, he fell off hard after back. You know, there were a lot of people this happened to. Like he fell off hard after bat flu. He he made the wrong choices, and I don't know. I think he lost the mandate of heaven. His time's over now. It's all about the uh, the Maloney woman, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not just not just the bat flu thing, but he also cut some deals with Five Star and whatever. And yeah, this is the thing, man. You, you, a lot of people get up to the get up to the you know the banks of the Rubicon, and then they they uh, they punk out, as the kids used to say. So it takes takes a different kind of person to to just step in. Yeah, um, I don't. Know, I see a lot of people saying that. Sicilians don't want it to be. I'm sure that they don't. Uh, now, I mean, I'm not sure that it'll go both ways. However, I mean, like, if I was ruling Italy, I would want there to be a highway in Sicily. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I wonder if the people on the main, <laughs> the mainland, uh, what is it, uh, Reggio, whatever that 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 would then that would connect to will be connected to Sicily. Maybe they don't want it either. <laughs> Maybe they don't want Sicilians coming across the bridge. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. It's it's this is one of the <laughs> funny things about um I used to I still do. I look up a lot of mob stuff and like uh Sicilians have this like superiority thing, at least in terms of I don't know if they do. I'm sure it's it's everywhere else, but I mean I you know, maybe that's not hundred percent true, but it probably is. But anyways, like um Sicilians don't really consider other Italians to be like fully Italian, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Fredo talked about that before. I had like, all these different uh, Italian languages that aren't Italian. I, I really, really had no idea. It's it's, it's funny because like uh, I, I heard a lot of like Northern Italian people not liking Southern Italians. You know the Dennis Hopper, Hopper <laughs> True Romance theory about Sicilians. But it's weird that Sicilians they don't they don't recognize other they they, they think they're the real Italians. Oh, this goes so deep. This goes like, check this out. In Lombardy, one Miglio is a kilometer. In uh, Milan, one Palmo is a meter. In Venice, one seventeen hundred meters is a thousand passi. In Modena, <laughs> uh, distance is braccio and pi. In Naples, one canna equals eight palmi. 
one in Sicily, that one Miglio is actually 45 Corda. In the the Papal States, uh, one Miglio is a different amount of meters. In Rome, a Cano is 10 Palmi. Like every single, like, um, and this goes Tuscany, Genoa, Genoa, Turin, Piedmont, Sardinia, Parm, Parma, Bologna, Ancona, Rome, Papal States, Palermo, Sicily, Naples, Modena, Venice, Milan, all have their own measurement systems, sometimes with the same measurement that means different things in different cities. The only people that were like, well, you know, we could save a couple of nickels if like we did the same weights and measurements as like everybody else. Apparently Lombardi and Venetia settled on one. That's it. <laughs> so the North, so the so the Germans in Italy said, "Hey, we need to standardize some things," and everybody else just fell in line, huh? Yeah, and I mean it's <laughs> it's um, and I don't know how much this stuff still goes on. Yeah, the Kingdom of Sardinia. Anyways, uh, I don't know. I think we're done. And before we people send me angry messages about getting around, yeah, I know they're not Venetians and, and Lombards are not literally Germans. It's not like Istria or whatever. I know that. This is a joke. You ever get blown up with like corrections like that when you say something wrong? Yeah, that's okay. the, that's the internet. Like uh, you know, the old thing about the internet is if you don't know an answer, just post the wrong answer, and <laughs> people angrily uh, correct you. I mean, it, it's never, it's never ain't. Well, there, there was one guy who threatened to, who, who threatened violence on us if we, it, what was it that, oh yeah, because you talked, what you said about the rims, uh, some, you said something about the rims, about uh, white people didn't like certain kind of rims. I said and, white people uh, like black, I said the most, and I'm not saying only white people have these rims, but I said, I associate the black steely. And I mean, trying to do black steel, like you have an expensive car, you could put whatever you want on it and you put black steelies on there. Mm-hmm. I associate that with what with white guy. Somebody said I was wrong about that. I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, the nice thing about this podcast has been like when, when someone corrects, if someone corrects us about when we're wrong about stuff, which we are from time to time, constantly. It's always it's always nice and it's always a good conversation that happens afterwards. Except for that one, he he threatened to do violence to you, but you know, y'all car guys, that's just a, that's just a thing. I, I don't I don't get in the middle of that. People get very passionate about their vehicles. Yeah, got to. It's good to be super passionate about things that don't matter. <laughs> that's that's such a great point. <laughs> yes, yeah. The things that you should be you should be laid back about the really important things when it comes to disagreements with your friends. But then, like the minor things, just threaten to murder each other over <laughs> over rims. That's the way to go. Uh, can you in like a minute or two explain like was the Mitsubishi Zero like a, a like a was were, were Americans just trying to make it into something it wasn't no like no, trying to it, puff up the enemy or, or was it like a serious advance it was it was so in 1941 and 40 in early 42 it was the best plane in the pacific people people have argued that the zero was early on in the in, in that stage of the war the best plane period it outclassed our fighters horribly the only thing that Basically, uh, Jimmy Thatch had to invent a, a, a strategy of 
using your wingman to to bail you out from getting murdered by the zero because their their planes just outclassed ours. American planes had some advantages over the zero, like I think diving and stuff like that. But the zero was more maneuverable. It, it had it, it the the big weakness of their plane was that came into effect later on in the war was that we had self-sealing fuel tanks, which they didn't have. So theirs would catch on fire. They had poor armor. And as time went on, they didn't really, they didn't really advance their aircraft. And we did heavily by the end of the war, we have the best aircraft in the world. Yeah. Um, start of the war. Some of the worst, we should do an episode on Jimmy Thatchett sometime because it's, there's nothing like he, he was like playing, uh, like Call of Duty World War Two, he was like the main character. Yes, uh, it's it's amazing. Like the so the the, his, the thatch weave was not a complicated. It's again, it's one of the things. Like it's the de- most dead simple strategy you could do. Hey, when, when this happens, you fly towards me, and I'll fly towards you, and we can get them off. The- People have been had been doing air to air combat for thirty years, and no one had had really that had not become part of the doctrine. It's just it was just sitting there forever. Well, it's I mean, a, it's a weird strategy because like <clears throat> most of the strategies are like I'm a dominant pilot. How can I like stay in a dominant position 100 percent of the time? This well, is like I'm in a sec. I'm second best situation, and in fact, like isn't part of the thatch weave that like those Japanese pilots had so much more training than everybody else. Yeah, so at the very like, someone in the chat says I didn't think the Zero was very good. The, at the start of the war, the Zero was better than the American planes, and the Japanese pilots had more experience, and, and they had been fighting for years, and so that that was an aspect too. But the main thing was their planes just better. In fact, when Thatch was inventing the Thatch weave, he went up with his wingman, and to to sit to simulate this, they had to like just basically put governors on their on their engines of their planes so like that the other the other people could have an advantage right like the guy simulating the zero was faster their their planes better than than, than our planes and, and yet this this wasn't necessarily like in world war one this hadn't come up because there was such a for one thing there was planes were were new and weird there's a lot of variation but by the way this didn't change either Throughout World War II, they they went back and like the uh, the Army, Air Force, and Navy went back and looked at like losses and figured out that basically there were only two kinds of pilots. There were people who were going to become like aces, or there were people who were going if they got into air combat they were going to die. And the only reason like everybody didn't die was you might be lucky enough to not run into into like a hunter. Like everybody was either prey or a hunter. You either had it or you didn't. There was not really a lot of middle ground. Unless, like, you were fighting an enemy so beat down they couldn't functionally fight back, like the Germans in 1945 or the Japanese after 44 or whatever, and this ne- and this never changed. Like, this is how people. So it, it was a, a different thing. Like, we have to figure out a strategy to deal with these people who they're well trained, probably better trained than us, and they have better equipment. We have to figure out something, or we're going to we're going to lose. Because if you're in an aircraft carrier fighting each other. If you can't shoot down their planes, you're going to die. Like thousands of people are going to die. And like yeah. even despite Thatch being like a like the one of the best strategists, like he in, not just invented the Thatch weave, but he also invented like the doctrine to protect aircraft carriers. Like he became he became he was Yeah, they were to, getting slaughtered until he came up with it. 
the thing and is, and he's not like a general. He's not like an admiral. He's just a pilot. If you look at what happened with him, at, like I don't know if he's at Coral Sea, but he was definitely in Midway. Uh, he did, like they did, their success rate for the fires was terrible. Like they shot down a couple of zeros and then they had to buck out and they destroyed the people he was escorting. All got killed, and his carrier got got. I think he was on the Yorktown when it got sunk, and he had to go. He had to, like flee to the Enterprise or whatever. So like they, they it, 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 the start of the war was really rough. We we started at a high disadvantage. We had shittier equipment and we had worse training. But the problem for the Japanese was, it, within a year, we had far better planes. They didn't improve theirs, and they didn't replace their their pilots. And it was a, not just a war of attrition, but like we got better and way outpaced them. So like by the end of the war, they had shitty early war, lots some like early war zeros and planes that hadn't been really changed that much flying against like, it would be like if you finally get F-14 against uh, F-22, right? You don't want to be in that position. Yeah. You're basically, you're basically uh, and like in, by the end of the war, the Japanese are just using their, their aircraft carriers as bait. Like we're just going to send this aircraft carrier out with no airplanes and we're going to draw the Americans out to blow it up. Like that's just, that's the only thing our aircraft carriers are good for now. Yeah. I, this is, a, this is a, like a, a, th- a problem. Like whenever Taiwan comes up and by the way, you see this, the weird stuff happening at ta- happening around Taiwan right now. Yeah. Malcolm's probably sitting in the catbird seat right now. We ha- we are so used to, to like, we had world war two where by the end we were basically dropping our dick on the, on the table to everybody. We had the Gulf war. We had a lot the you know the unip the unipolar era from ninety one until the mid two thousands or whatever. We're so used to that. We don't really know what it feels like to lose an important war. Yeah, we we, we lost Iraq and, and Afghanistan, kinda, but it didn't really matter. Like that in, in Vietnam, these are these were away games. We haven't really lost a we haven't lost a big one that matters yet. And that shit can't happen. It, it very much can't happen. The United States military is not invincible. It's still the strongest one on the planet, but, you know, that can change overnight. Yeah, of course it can. Yeah, and I mean, like, uh, big swings. Like, uh, you know, there's this thing, like, if you're winning a war, people don't feel so bad about going to, to war. When you're losing a war, people don't show up to draft cards. Stuff. I don't know, it, the Jimmy, Jimmy Thatch, like, there, there are like more than one. I think there's at least there's at least one battle where, the, literally, the battle is not won without Jimmy Thatch doing what he does. The Thatch Weave is badass because it like Thatch Weave is like the Kill Bill strategy in poker. So the Kill Bill strategy in poker is like, how do you beat someone who's better than you? That's like a it's like a it like doesn't make sense. But like, well, there's things you can do, and the Thatch Weave is like, well, what if we all what if what if the Japanese just rape us? Well, here's something you can do. And like, uh, so, and by the way, you know, the thing about their guys being killers and, and, and then just bait, I mean, look at the, look at the great German pilots, like almost all these great German pilots, like, you know, what's going to kill them is the engine. The, the more, the, the most dangerous thing to the great German pilots was their own engine blowing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and with the Japanese, they had double. They had two problems. One, you're fighting in the Pacific. They had a catastrophic battle where they lost a huge amount of pilots and, and carrier crew, like midway. And, and if you get shot down in the Pacific, you're landing in the ocean. 
you're you're and you're either going to get fished out by the enemy, by your friends, or you're just going to die out in the ocean. Whereas if you got shot down, uh, you know, in 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 Europe, you you're going to land on land. You might you know obviously you might die because a lot of people did, but you there were a lot of those German pilots who got shot down more than once. You know, they had eighty air to air kills, but you know they didn't they didn't land their plane every time. But you can do that. The Japanese didn't really have that luxury. And also, they, there's the thing they did that, and this is, I don't know, almost cliche has been remarked on so much. In America, like, if you became a good, a really good, if you were a really good pilot, they would just send you back to the continental United States to train other pilots. Like, hey, this guy knows what's up. Send it back. Japanese didn't do that. You stayed in until you died. And so by the end of the war, they just got people who who had they had no no oil to practice with so they were like worse trained than like they had like I think it was like a quarter of the hours in flight that the Americans had and they were already lower quality they hadn't had as good teachers it, it's it, it's a, it's a, it was a real logistical problem talking about how soft it was in Europe <laughs> compared to uh uh Japan I was watching a documentary the other day about you ever heard about the HMS glowworm which one was that? No. Uh, what battle was it at? So this was a destroyer in, um, let's see, when was this? Uh, in 1940. So Germans, the Kriegsmarine takes off from Germany heading to invade Norway, I think. Right. And um, like uh, a, I want to say a, ba- like a battleship gets, um, they have like an engine problem or weather problem and they get, they get held up. There's this, the tiniest level of uh, British destroyer is out there like picking up mines or something, or th- no, they had a guy fall overboard. And so they went back to look for him. And this humongous German battleship is like held up behind. He's trying to catch up with the guys going to Norway. And, um, he, he this guy's like, look at, they're looking for this guy who fell over. Uh, this tiny British destroyer. Oh, and like his um, uh, either his radio was damaged or they were they were mandated to be radio silent. No, I think their radio was damaged or something like that. Anyways, he's all alone and he can't call anybody or anything. And he finds this gigantic German battleship, and um, he fights it out with him for a couple minutes. And I mean, he's just getting wrecked because he's got a little destroyer. And he's fighting a battleship, and uh, so. He he said so his so he says let's ram it. He says full engine <laughs> speed and he rams it and um anyways it didn't kill the German battleship but um it did kill the 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 destroyer and um anyways the much like the Germans like picked up they rescued like the eighty British guys that that still survived after the their destroyer blew up. Yeah, I mean, if, a lot has been made about how evil the Germans were, and yeah, they were, they were they, certainly if you were like Russian or or whatever. But like, f- as far as like the people, like the the Western, you, the Japanese wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have picked them up. They, I mean, they they might have to torture to torture them for information and kill them, which they which they did. Yeah, the Japanese were absolutely brutally. Like brutally treated POWs, they brutally treated occupied people. That it was a different kind of war. Uh, you would hear a lot of stories about from vets saying, like you know, they they thought looked back on the war and the the Germans. Famously, in the Band of Brothers book, 
uh, I don't know which one it was, but one of the NCOs said, like, we got to Germany and we found out we really liked the Germans. Like, we were occupying Germany. Like, these are people that we liked them more than the French. They were clean people. They, you know, they were trying to rebuild their country right after the war. We got along with them great. We thought they were wonderful. Like, you, like you do fra- not. We like them frawl lines. Yes, but you do not hear that from Pacific veterans at all. It's basically like these were people who these were not human beings they were monsters we we killed them without we we did not take prisoners they did not seek to surrender and it's just it sounds like you know genghis khan shit and uh, it's just you can't yeah you, you you can't overlook that aspect of world war ii the fighting in the fighting in the pacific was, was like the numbers were lower but it was so much more brutal it was just it just unimaginably unimaginably brutal Check this out. Um, so the ger- the German, uh, I don't know what you say, the German officer, the German admiral, whatever, uh, he, I don't know how you do this, but uh, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was after the war or not, but he told the British, the British Navy to give the captain of the HMS Glowworm their highest honor. Like he did. <laughs> yeah. He said, he said, this guy is, is like, He's based. <laughs> he said. He said this guy ran my battleship. He should not be on. He should not be driving a destroyer. He said this is this is like one of the bravest best men you have. Uh, that's crazy. Before we go, there was a. I, I wish I had more details about it and know we were going to talk about this. There was a, a really famous anecdote. This uh, a American plane was a bomber was damaged badly and it was it, it was making its way back across the channel and it got intercepted by a German air, air German fighter and they were like well i guess we're, we're about to die now because our planes fucked up we can't escape and this this fighter's here and the german fighter escorted them to the channel and like saluted the guys in the in the plane and and, and flew away and let them go on their way and like after the war those get like the pilot of that plane found the Found the German and like they commiserated about the war, and the, the, the German the German guy was asked he's like, look, our the guy in charge of our squadron said, don't shoot at parachutes, don't you know, don't don't be unnecessarily cruel to each other. It's a war, but we're still human beings, you know, blah blah blah. I've never heard a story like that from from the Pacific War, and like in in in, in any branch of service or anything. I, I just I've never heard, I've never heard once a story. There the, all the stories from the Pacific are horrifying. Uh, yeah, you know, American translators begging Okinawans not to jump off the rocks and kill themselves because the Japanese told them that the Americans were going to come through and rape all the women and kill their babies and stuff like that. It's just, it, it, it hurts your soul to, the more you learn about the Pacific War. And, like, that's really what war was like through most of human history. Like, the, the, the chivalrous not being hard on the civilian population, you know, Give, giving respect to your fellow combatant, that comes like you have to have thousands or hundreds or thousands of years of, like military tradition for that to happen. And by the way, it doesn't. I mean, obviously, the the Germans did not treat the Russians uh, chivalrously or the populations of the East that way. They did mass slaughter and industrial industrial murder. But like that's not a given. War is usually what it was in the Pacific, just like a total grinding. Like carnival of horror. Well, uh, by the way, here's to finish the story. Um, so at ten ten, Lieutenant Commander Gerard Broadmead Roop. By the way, there was a uh, a British British captain, uh, whatever you call, it, British guy in charge of a ship, World War Two, named Manly Power. 
<laughs> Manly power. <laughs> Anyways, um, sorry. So this guy is a British. Um, uh, this, this commander Gerard Roop <clears throat> fired five tor- torpedoes from one mounting in a range of 800 meters, all missed because Captain Helmuth Hay had kept Hipper's bow pointed at Glowworm throughout the battle to minimize his risk from torpedoes. The destroyer fell back through her smoke screen to buy her time to get her second torpedo mount working. I remember, like. This guy is fighting this huge ship, like, like he's not going to sink it. You know what I mean? Uh, but anyways, but he can't really get. By the way, he can't get away. I mean, he, the the big ship was is a lot faster. The destroyer fell back through the smoke by time to get the second torpedo mount working. But Hay followed Glowworm through the smoke to finish her off before she could fire the rest of the torpedoes. The two ships were very close when Hipper emerged from the smoke and Roop ordered a hard turn to starboard to ram the cruiser. Hipper was slow to answer her helm, and Glowworm stuck the cruiser just abaft the, the anchor. The collision broke off Glowworm's bow, and the rest of the ship scraped along Hipper's side, gouging open several holes in the latter's hull and destroying her forward starboard torpedo mounting. One German sailor was knocked overboard by the collision. Hipper took on some 500 tons of water before the leaks could be isolated. Glowworm was on fire when she drifted clear, and her boilers exploded at 1024, taking... 109 of her crew with her. Now here, listen to this. Roop, who drowned when he could no longer hang on to a rope whilst being pulled up the side of the cruiser, was posthumously awarded the Victoria Cross, thus becoming the first VC recipient of the Second World War. The award was justified in part by recommendation of High, the, the German guy, who wrote to the British authorities via the Red Cross, giving a statement of the valiant courage Roop had shown when engaging a much superior ship in close battle. I've never, I've never heard of this guy before, but it's funny. Like the British guy named Roop. Rip to a real one. Yeah. And I, oh, by the way, I saw the, the interview. They said, like, the actual captain doesn't drive the ship or whatever. You know, he's ordering his officers to do that. And uh, they, they said, like, why did you do that? You know, ramming this huge ship. Obviously, that's going to be a bad day. And they said, they said uh, this Admiral Roop guy, they said, we would have done anything he told us to do. He said, you just, you don't understand this kind of guy. He said, we would have just done anything he told us to do. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's the guys. <laughs> another, another subject. We're going to, we're going to go. It's going to get that. It's the kind of people you have to have in your military, by the way. Yeah. It's a very special kind of person. You can't just replace them with, with, uh, with people you put on a Bud Light can. Well, you can. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> making their way. The only way they know how That's just a little bit more than the whole of life Woo!